All right, this episode of the QTR Podcast, like all of my podcasts, is brought to you by my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. By the way, Merry Christmas. Whatever you celebrate, I support it. <clears throat> um, what else is going on? This podcast is brought to you by my kind friends over at JM Bullion, the only place that I buy my gold and silver bullion, my exclusive gold and silver providers. And by the way, they sent me an email yesterday or two days ago with some... Uh, brand new one ounce uh i forget what they're called buffalo uh gold coins they're beautiful and uh so i was like i gotta mention that when i want to do the podcast they don't give me a script some of these places give me a script i you know i tend to ignore it that's why there's some advertising turnover sometimes (laughs) anyways qtr podcast listeners have their own lovely representative at jm bullion the lovely laura l-a-u-r-a at jmbullion.com you can shoot her an email the link to jm bullion is in the podcast description and they did tell me that they've done over seven billion dollars in sales now i've been saying three billion dollars in sales since i started working with them but apparently my podcast is so popular that they've done another $4 billion in sales since then. So that's it's a fucking miracle, isn't it? <laughs> These guys have great inventory, great prices. They ship discreetly. I love JM Bullion. Link is in the podcast description or short. Shoot Laura a, pod, uh, a podcast. All right, dickhead, get it together. Shoot Laura an email if you want to uh, inquire. This podcast also brought to you by my kind friends over at Masterworks. I love Masterworks because... Being a broke individual, it would be very difficult for me to go out and buy something by, say, Banksy, who I enjoy Banksy's art. There's a big Banksy uh, exhibit right now in Philadelphia. Went and checked it out. It's pretty dope. But his shit is going for like $2 million, $3 million a painting, and you can't afford it. And I know you can't because if you had money, you wouldn't be listening to my podcast. Trust me. We all live in the same gutter together, folks. The point of the matter is Masterworks democratizes access to the art world, which is what's so cool about them. You can make an investment in a painting, and they do all of the uh, buying and selling of the certain works of art. They've got a great track record. I mean, last year in 2022, the market was down uh, single or double-digit percentages, and several of my uh, the ones that I had invested in from years prior were up like 10 or 20%, and I think one or two of them sold. So, you know, art has always been a great way to hedge against inflation, hedge against the market, um, and Masterworks makes it easy for you to access that market. Um, There's a waiting list right now, but you can skip the waiting list if you use code QTR if you want to sign up for Masterworks and invest in some priceless works of art. There's plenty of disclaimers on their website. Make sure you read all of those. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities, and, you know, I'll clear my hands like I'm a... dealing craps right now <laughs> check out my kind friends over at masterworks uh love those guys i really do this podcast also brought to you by my friend george gammon over at rebel capitalist pro george gammon brett johnson lynn alden chris mcintosh and many other people much smarter than i am have come together to help you figure out ways to conserve your wealth in a world of out of control central banks you know Rebel Capitalist, a great channel on YouTube. George Gammon, a great channel on YouTube to watch. And their forums are wonderful. 
The Rebel Capitalist Pro offering is worth it. Here's the fork in the road, okay? We know you're a degenerate because you listen to my podcast. If you get to a fork in the road where, um, you know, you turn left and you're interested kind of in dick and fart jokes, it's like, all right, well, then you can sign up for my blog and listen to my podcast. If you actually want to know how the fucking, like, Eurodollar deposit system works and things like, like that that I can't be bothered with, I know there's shady shit going on. I, you know... I'm not interested in the bowels of central banking. It's just nefarious. That's all I need to know. Uh, but if you're interested in that, and actually you have a brain and you want to figure these things out, George Gammon's the guy to listen to. His takes on macro are fantastic. The way he just did a great uh, debate with Michael Saylor on Bitcoin that I found to be very informative. Check him out. Doomberg was also on that debate and uh i love reading doomberg's Substack, george gammon and doomberg those links are in my podcast description check those out like-minded folks skeptical folks austrian lens smart people high quality people people that i trust speaking of which one of my longest supporters i don't even know i think maybe he just signed up for the patreon and just maybe lost the credit card that he's using but for some reason my kind friend Sang Lucci continues to support this podcast. Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus are two of the original gangsters in the options world. Ten years I have been on FinTwit, ladies and gentlemen. Ten years I've been following these guys. For ten years, the Steam Room has been the leading piece of software for tracking unusual options activity, tracking market flow. They have a wonderful community. Sang Lucci is one of the sharpest guys on the street. Wall Street Jesus is one of the sharpest guys on the street. These guys are experts in tracking market sentiment, market flow. Generally great people to check out, follow on Twitter, do business with. Give them a shout or George or Doomberg or JM Bullion or Masterworks. Tell them that QTR sent you and they will make sure that you get hooked up. Just tell them whatever you want. Say, hey, I want to buy $1,000 worth of gold, but I want free shipping. They'll work with you because you tell them the Q-man sent you. You know, and if they don't concede that to you, make them concede something else. Free parking, something, you know, just get something out of the deal. Sang Lucci, make them buy you a shot of Jameson sometime. All right, folks, the point is good people to do business with. My sponsors, I love them. I got to kiss their ass. I do it not only because they give me money, but I also happen to like them also, which is an added bonus. All right. I think that covers that nonsense as I sit here and fucking force down my lunch. Because I got Dave Collum when he was available, and so now I'm trying to eat and work at the same time. Who cares at this point? Uh, I'm not a financial advisor, uh, as most of you may have figured out by the fact that I'm shoveling oatmeal into my face while I'm doing a podcast, which most people, if you walk into an Edward Jones branch, are not going to be doing. Have you heard of the QQQ ETF? Go fuck yourself, all right? Uh... I'm not a financial advisor. This podcast also brought to you by my blog, Fringe Finance. I write there almost every day. Just don't listen to anything I or Dave Collum have to say. That's your disclaimer. I already got my shit kicked off YouTube last week for fucking talking to Peter McCullough. I don't even know if I'm going to bother trying to put this on YouTube today. But uh, let's talk to Dave Collum as soon as I figure out what I'm doing here. Hang on. I have with me on the line our returning champion, the Betty R. Miller professor of chemistry at Cornell University, a small community college located somewhere in New York. My dear friend, Dave Collum, how are you, sir? How are you? It's been a while. It's been a long has... time. I know. I know. I noticed Twitter wants us two of us to get back in the octagon, but uh, but uh, but it's we're there finally. That's great. What do you mean? 
Oh, I just see people occasionally tagging the two of us saying, you guys got to get in there together again. Dave, people fucking message me every day telling me that I have to talk to you again. I got to have you on again. Like, as soon as you get done, as soon as we, I publish one that we do, <clears throat> I just get nonstop messages to have you back on. Well, that's quite an honor. Um, so. Yeah, I didn't know that. But, you know, I got to keep things civil. I got to keep things sane here. You know, I got I to spread you out over uh, the course of like once every six months or something, you know? Well, I think that's true, actually. <laughs> you don't want to get to the point where people can lip sync, lip sync what I have to say or what you have to say or whatever. It's, it's, keep, it, keep it cool. It's funny. I had uh, Dr. Peter McCullough on last yeah. week, and they uh, struck my account down from YouTube. Are you good over there? You all right? <clears throat> yeah, I'm fine. It's, I was moving my chair. Okay. I have a Boston Terrier sitting on my lap, so... Yeah, <clears throat> a little bit of chaos. And I was trying to eat my jelly beans. I can see Dave too. I got him on video, so that's why I was there. I could see him moving around. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I had Peter McCullough on last week, and they struck my YouTube account. And everything Jesus. he said, everything he said on the podcast was sourced and you know cited public information. He's like citing stuff off PubMed, peer-reviewed journals. And uh, it was up for like five minutes on YouTube and they took it down and they said, you know, I'm banned for a week for YouTube. So I just said before we started talking, I'm not even going to try to put your fucking interview up there. Right. They're a bunch of fucking Nazis. So let's talk about COVID to start. How does that sound? Sounds fine to me. You familiar with Mr. McCullough or no? You ever listen to any of his Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, a ton. Right. Now, I've been following him for two years. Let's talk about. Uh, the movie died suddenly. Did you see that yet? I did. What did I you? Did. What'd you think? What do you think's going on there with the vaccines? Anything or much to do about nothing? Well, I, there's a, there's a problem with the stats, and that and that um, and that I think there's things that are very real and things that I can't tell uh, numerically how real. So, for example, um, I see numbers like you know seven point seven percent of the people who who, uh, <coughs> who who take the vaccine end up in the hospital and I go but I don't know anyone who did right so there's that um, I have no doubt that the vaccine is killing people uh, zero doubt zero doubt at this point and uh, I I really do worry that it's um, that it's caused long-term harm in everybody who took it I, which includes me by the way it was either take it or quit my job and I, I you know if I if I knew then what I knew now, it's conceivable I might take the alternative path. But at the time, it was just a theory. Right. And so I said, look, I, am I really going to give up a good payday for the next five years or so because of some theory off the Internet? Right. And the answer was no. So I, you know, I waited till a lot of people got jabbed. And then I said, OK, I'll go. Um, which, and, one, uh, which one did you get? I got the Pfizer vaccine, um, oh but there's huge, well, there's huge variation with all, <laughs> within all the vaccines too, right? The, the, each individual vial is different. There's, there's massive variation from vial to vial. And so I think you can get, get totally annihilated by, by the same vaccine uh, on one day and not on another day, depending on, and there's chemical reasons for it actually. So, um, yeah, well, that's why I'm interested in your take. I mean, you're a chemist, you know, you work at Cornell. And you're saying there's no doubt in your mind that vaccines are killing people. So what do you, you know, how do you get to that conclusion? 
scientifically? Um, well, first of all, there, there are quite a few stats out there. It's just that there's different stats from different sources. Um, you know, example, here's a good one. The World, um, World Soccer League, whatever it's called, FIFA or whatever, keeps track of the health and well-being of their soccer players. And the, the, the death toll of soccer players was up fivefold in 2021 from heart attacks. And so, and, and there were sound numbers. Uh, the military keeps sound numbers and they're having all sorts of problems. Yeah, but the question is whether or not that came from the vaccine or it came from COVID itself. Well, there is that question, except for in, they've done a number of studies where they've looked at people who died and it turns out when you, when you, when you take the first shot and you get whacked and then you take the second shot and you get whacked and you take the third shot and you die, then that's that's a different data point than just you died within three weeks of taking the vaccine. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I, I don't have any doubt. What I doubt is that we have good numbers. I don't doubt that we have numbers. And, and I've seen estimates of, you know, fatality rates going forward that are, um, come on, get out of here. I got these dogs. Um, fatality rates going forward that are that are all over the place the ball all over the place and I don't know what to make of them there's guys like a guy named David Martin who 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 put a round number at 70 million people will die in this country from the vaccine before this is over um and 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 then there's people who and this is a question I asked back in 2021 and that is uh is it possible that everyone who's been vaccinated has been injured to varying degrees um is there subclinical you know, myocarditis that's not yet showing up. Um, and I think you could find it if you wanted to look for it. Um, but individuals don't have the firepower to find it in a statistically sound way, whereas, uh, whereas federal agencies do. And, and there's just an unwillingness of them to look. They don't, they absolutely refuse to look. So. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I told Dr. McCullough that when I spoke to, because look, at first, I didn't know anything about COVID. And so I was worried at first. Then the oh, vaccines sure. came out and I remember speaking to you and I was alarmed about the way that the vaccines were. I was actually, I was hopeful for the vaccines when COVID first hit. And then when they came around, the way that they were being pushed gave me a lot of pause. It felt like a serious calculated propaganda campaign to get vaccinated so much so that it made me uncomfortable. So eventually I went to my own personal doctor and I asked him, I said, listen, doc, I don't know what to do. You know, something about this feels weird, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get COVID. I don't want to transmit COVID. I don't want to die, obviously. And nobody. So what's the right thing to do? And what my doctor said in his infinite wisdom, and this is why I picked this guy years ago for another issue that I had, but just just said, look, he said, at your age, he said, the health, <clears throat> the health that you're in, he said, we don't have long-term safety data and he said i just can't recommend that you get it without the long-term safety data and this was april 2020 and i remember say or, or april 2021 i'm sorry right and i remember saying to him you know well what's the deal like do you feel like it's time to kind of get on with life and get back out there and he said yeah you know what i think it is i think we just have to kind of reopen and he was one of the first people to say both of those things to me that, you know, we don't have the long-term safety data and maybe it's just time to move on. You know, so it turns out he was several years ahead of his time. A lot of other people started saying that in the year 
following. Now here we are heading into 2023. We still don't have everybody on board. There's still people in the government that, you know, I don't know. They want COVID to, to linger around long. I mean, I feel like everybody's over it, you know, psychologically. Well, so for me, um, so in 2020, as you know, I write about stuff like this. In 2020 in December, uh, I laid out a lot of concerns about the storyline we're getting um, and about the story about the, the what was going on in COVID. And I had figured out that Fauci was a complete wretched douchebag and things like that. Um and and what what sent me absolutely soaring was when they released the vaccine and within five days they said that pregnant women should get vaccinated right and i said that is not a medically sound piece of advice and then within a couple months all the pediatric and 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 gynecological heads of heads of organizations were saying the vaccine's safe and i'm saying you're overtly lying, um, and and you must know it, because uh, there will be no COVID babies, as I started calling them, uh, until September, October, of um, or vaccine babies till September, October of that year, and they were saying in April. And and so I, so the question is, why are all these people lying? And and maybe they're being told to lie, but it didn't matter to me. And so so that I, I think the picture of the pregnant woman on Twitter, which I went back and checked the source to make sure it wasn't photoshopped, uh, saying get vaccinated. They go, pregnant women aren't supposed to smoke. They're not supposed to drink. They're not supposed to go near cat boxes. Um, they're not supposed to do anything experimental. We learned that from thalidomide. And all of a sudden, they want to inject themselves with an mRNA vaccine of unknown long-term effect, as you said. And that's when I realized that there were sick bastards um, uh, at the helm. And, and I don't know if I necessarily was willing to conclude that they were up to something else altogether, up to really no good, or whether it was just this, this uh, blind belief in the vaccine. It was hard to say, but, but I realized that they were of no value whatsoever as a source of information at that point. And then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And they're still pushing it they're, You know, they, when they cleared it for kids, there was no reason in the world to clear it for kids. Never there understood not, that. Six not months a, old, well, six month old right. kids. They just approved it for. And, 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 the guys on the committee had to have known there were actually guys on the committee expressed some concern about it and they cleared it. I said, that is Dr. Mengele. That is twisted shit. Uh, those people should be taken to the Hague. I have, I have zero tolerance. I think if you actually rounded up the bad guys and, and took them to the Hague for crimes against humanity, they would be in the many thousands, many thousands. I'm that hostile about it. I, and I, you know, why? Why is this happening? I don't know. I'm, I'm a, I tend towards big grand conspiracy theories because I think that people in power do that. And, um, and then the question is, what are they up to? And I, I can entertain almost any idea from eugenics to, uh, to uh, just sort of control of the population. It's not a health issue anymore. I have no doubt it's not about health. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not about health at all. It's something altogether different. I just, I don't get it. But I also don't understand why, you know, some guy who's king of Spain insists on attacking Portugal. I, I don't know why people <laughs> do that, stuff, right? So. Yeah, it just, you know, I said to McCullough, 
doesn't make sense to me. Kids six months old, when when you know that COVID is less dangerous, disproportionately less dangerous for children than the flu, you know, and so it, it, why, it killed, why is it important? It has killed to rush? no healthy kids. It's it has killed no healthy kids. And why is it important to rush out this vaccine and then make a big to do about it? I mean, it was like on the news that night they were parading it around like it was this great piece of information did well, you so see the, the news, uh, go ahead i'm sorry go the ahead. news is the problem i agree so the news so 75 percent of all ad revenues to mainstream media is pharma 75 fucking percent is pharma and and you, you know you watch the tv and you see this ad for this drug you can't pronounce and you see these guys walk around with smiles on their face you get to the end of the ad and you realize you can't remember for the life of you what the drug did Right. And and then you go, why are they doing it? And then one day I was talking to my brother, we kind of put it together. We said, it's just ad revenues. They could have advertised, you know, anal cream. They didn't care. Right. What they wanted to do was addict the media to the ad revenues such that when they needed them to toe the line, they would toe the line. And so no news media that's getting 75% of the revenues from Pfizer and at all is going to is going to buck that story. None. And so the, uh, to me, the media is actually our biggest problem now. The, the media has taken a turn to the level of an authoritarian state. I, I trust Al Jazeera and RT way more than I trust the U.S. news media, way more. Not even close. Well, it's just, you know, and we'll go into this in a little bit, but you look at something like the concerted effort to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story. Exactly. And everybody that carried the water to suppress that story leading up to the election. And you wonder how the hell can you trust the media? Look, I just want to stay on the vaccines for a second, though. Did you see the uh, I think it's an old clip, but uh, Dr. Pierre Corey posted it on his Twitter yesterday. Of uh, this Dr. Peter, Dr. Peter Hotez, who I guess is one of the advocates for vaccination for the COVID. He's vaccine. one of the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you see the clip that I'm talking about? Yeah. And he was Joe Rogan was giving him hell for being a, out of shape and stuff like that, which struck me. Rogan, it drives me a little nuts. It's like, Joe, we don't all just sit around pumping iron, dude. Um, and, um, and, he wasn't, and then he, he gets, wasn't really he, no, he wasn't really giving him shit. I mean, the guy was saying, you know, the guy was advocating for vaccines and well, Rogan for, says for the, to him, has your diet has, you know, has things gone because all right, the guy's overweight. You could just tell he's overweight. Right. All right. He's a big dude and he looks like he doesn't take care of himself. So Rogan goes, has your diet? And he's like, well, he's like, you know, uh, I do kind of I like to get into the junk food a little bit. Uh. Then I and, think and he Rogan's started like, lying. And Rogan's like, started how, lying. how often? Yeah, exactly. He's like, how often? He's like, well, you know, kind of like every day, you know, I'm eating Oreos every day, you know. And she's just like, oh, all right. You know, and then he asked him something else. Like, well, what kind of exercise do you do? He's like, well, you know, I, I try to get on a treadmill uh, 30, 30 minutes a day. And Rogan's like, well, what do you mean you try? He's like, well, you know, it's just hard with uh, with traveling and this and that and the other thing. Yep. And it's like, he's but like, you know, how, is- he's like, you know what the trick is? He's like, you just fucking do it. You know, you travel it or whatever. You just eat right and get exercise. And, and I just yeah, but go ahead. I'm sorry. That didn't see that didn't bother me because I, I understand what bothers me is at the end of the clip when he asked him about the vaccine. He says, well, it's a macromolecule. And, and Rogan says, well, what else is in there? And he said, well, saline. So he was lying absurdly. 
when what, he finally mentioned what, what was in, in the vaccine. Oh, there's first of all, there's cytotoxic lipid nanoparticle, which itself is a problem. Right. I wouldn't let them inject cytotoxic <laughs> lipid nanoparticle into me willingly. Well, how about for um, my listeners that don't speak Spanish? Can you explain what the hell you just said? Well, it's this it's like a detergent that carries sh- shit into very through various cell membranes to get it inside a cell. So so they, they say it crosses the b- blood brain barrier, which I find extraordinary because that's a very difficult thing to cross. Your, your blood brain barrier is designed to keep crap out of your brain. And so it's not easy to get stuff from your the capillaries into the brain cells. And somehow it does now. The, the lipid How come I can still see Don Lemon when I turn on the TV then? I, I don't know. I it, It's it's shocking. Um, maybe you can't. You're, they've dropped acid in your beverage. Um, so the lipid nanoparticle itself is a dangerous thing. And 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 he didn't bother to mention that. And uh, and he avoided it. I mean, he didn't, he didn't just, he just said saline, right? And there's a, a lot of crap in there. And so... Um, so Hotez is a particular problem. I mean, he's one of the guys, he's one of Fauci's minions who who runs around promoting stuff. And I, you know, I the 17 virologists who signed the letter saying, you know, saying that the the that the 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 COVID came from zoonotic sources, oh, I'd hang yeah. I'd hang <clears throat> them. I'd I'd hang them. I would no mercy on those bastards. They weren't. They weren't just. They weren't just confused. They were lying at the beginning of a pandemic when knowing every detail would be really important. They lied. They could have. You're you're 100 percent right. They fucking knew right off the bat. They knew that fearing cleavage site, whatever. Fauci had the fucking information. He had the email. We saw it in the FOIA. They knew that there was a point of concern and they were very tricky about it dave they said that it um what they said was that it could have came from natural origins not from the lab but they didn't say that it could have been something that originated a lab and then made its way they were saying oh well it may have came from a bat but they weren't saying that like hey maybe we fucking you know stuff the bat like a christmas turkey with this shit and that's where it came from first so they were like being super selective and intentionally misleading i mean well even worse christian anderson is one of the guys who signed the letter he was the first guy on record to an email to fauci saying it looks like it came from the lab that's the email to- I'm talking about Two days later, he sends an email to Fauci how it's clearly from zoonotic sources and how anyone who thinks it came from a lab is a conspiracy theorist. I'm going, okay, a phone call was made, said, don't you ever send an email like that to me again. (laughs) Send me another. So Christian Anderson, hang him from the nearest fucking tree, period, period. I want Daisy hung from a tree. I want I want Barrack hung from the tree. I want those guys. You do you guys want to fess up and tell us what you've been doing? Then maybe I would take the death penalty off the table. Okay. Well, I don't advocate for hanging people. Let me just put that out there. I, oh, I tried them first. You, you, I tried them okay. first. I get the conviction. All the right, conviction well, would enough. be easy though. It'd be easy. It, it would because you know it's just so blatantly like at this point the Dazic thing. Writing the op-ed for The Guardian, okay? He fucking knew. He knew when he wrote... He must have. He had to have known when he wrote that article. And this is... You know, I tried to get 
McCullough to opine on this a little bit, and he kind of walked the line a little bit, but he had to have known when he wrote that piece for The Guardian that this was, you know, this was the doings of the lab because he had the go-between organization that was getting the money from the NIH to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. All you got to do is go listen to Jamie Metzl on Lex Friedman. It's a four-hour interview. He explains the whole fucking thing. The idea, like McCullough said last week, that these people don't just come forward, Dave, and say, hey, you know, Barrick, I'm the guy that knows the most about this. Let, what can I do to help? You know, well, what let happens? me ask Anderson, you this question. Anderson why have we not seen Twitter. Barrick? Or... What? Yeah, that's right. Why? Did... <laughs> God damn it, Charlie. <sighs> Fuck. Um, you all right? My dog. Yeah, we're all set. The dog got his leg caught in the mechanics of the lazy boy again. Okay. Yeah, he's okay. It's just I get distracted. I fucked it up. I did it the other day. Um, um, why haven't Barrick and Dasik testified? I don't know. Well, I do. Because NIH and the U.S.'s uh, bioweapons program are hopelessly intermixed, and Dasik and Barrick are up to their ass in both. This Barrick and Dasik are not about medical. They are about biomedical. You want to read a horrifying book? There's so many horrifying books now. The first one I read was Kennedy's The Real Anthony Fauci. And it's just <laughs> page after page of nonstop bludgeoning your brain with all the awful things Fauci's done. Then you read Sickening by Jack, John Abramson from Harvard talking about how, how criminal, how criminal the goddamn, uh, the goddamn uh, FDA has become. And then you read Poisoner in Chief, and I can't remember the author, because, and I'm only partway through, and you read about the CIA's bioweapons programs and chemical weapons programs and the things they did, and you go, Dr. Mengele wouldn't have done the shit that they do. And I'm not exaggerating. They, they, we, we, we are, the CIA was torturing the shit out of people and killing people, and these were just expendable people, and, and they, were, they were doing horrific experiments on people and and this and you say okay but we don't do that anymore and i go okay then tell me what year we stopped what year did we stop doing horrific things you know and there's 332 336 bioweapons labs all around the world u.s bioweapons labs around the world so this is what we're seeing we're seeing the complexity of what appears to be a medical problem is when, in fact, it's a bioweapons is problem. Is Plum Island one of those? I don't know. No. Could be. <clears throat> I remember Dietrich. reading about, you know where Plum Island is off of uh, Connecticut? Um, no. I've, I've heard of it, but only in passing. Well, if you draw a straight line, a straight horizontal line out from Lyme, L-Y-M-E, Lyme, Connecticut, right. there's an island right. out there where, uh, you know, uh, it's in between Connecticut and Long Island where some very interesting things have washed up on the shore in uh, Montauk, including something called the Montauk Monster, which was this, like, crazy, you know, mutant fucking animal that washed up on the beach. But they supposedly do a lot of experiments out there. And, of course, what came from Lyme, Connecticut, but none other than Lyme disease. And so when and you, the I, Lyme I, vaccine, right. I, so when you start to, you know, put two and two together again, it's another Wuhan <coughs> Institute of Virology type situation where people are like, oh, all right, 
here's where fucking Lyme disease originated, which, by the way, is everywhere now, right? If you look at a heat map, there's a big, you know, dark red dot right next to Lyme, Connecticut. And it's like, what's 20 miles off the coast from Lyme, Connecticut is this fucking lab at Plum Island. I'm going to look it up real quick and just give you, read you the first line. Plum Island is, uh, let's see, let's see, uh, Barrier Island. I think this is the wrong one. Oh, here it is. For other used to see Plum Island. Plum Island near New York. Is this it? Uh, yeah, only 17 miles south-southeast of Lyme, Connecticut. Well, the, that's, I've not heard that, but that's a very interesting connection. The, the island is the site of the Plum Island Animal Disease Center, which was established by the United States Department of Agriculture in 1954. The Plum Island Animal Disease Center is a United States federal research facility dedicated to the study of foreign animal diseases of livestock, part of the Department of Homeland Security Directorate for Science and Technology. It operates as a partnership with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And lo and behold, all of a sudden, you know, a couple decades ago, ticks start giving people this mysterious disease near Lyme, Connecticut. I don't know. I'm not, I don't have any proof. I'm just saying it's certainly nope. fucking interesting, isn't it? But you're never going to get proof. One of the things you discover that um, in Poison in Chief, you find that when, when a CIA guy goes rogue and they start to sense that he could become a problem, they'll whack him. Is that right? So, oh yeah. So, so the original MK Ultra program was about a dozen guys, and and one of them, uh, one of them kind of lost his shit, and they were they were trying to get him psychiatric help, and and uh, next thing you know, he flew out a twelve story hotel room window. As you do. And yeah, yeah, it always happens. So, uh, so and, and and as they tell the story they could not afford to have a guy losing his shit and all of a sudden decide he, 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 he talked to Jesus and it's time to fess up to what they've been doing. Cause they were The experiments they're doing are things like they, they, they did stuff like uh, they put guys on acid continuously for, you know, four straight months continuously. Um, they, 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 they froze guys to death to see what the hell happened as you, as you, they, to see what happened as you, as you freeze to death. Right, they kept guys awake to see how what happened is you died from sleep deprivation. So th- these were <coughs> absolutely. So when World War II ended, um, they not only ran over and got the German rocket scientists, which made total sense to me, but they also ran over and got the German doctors who were doing these twisted fucking experiments, and they brought them into the U.S. and put them in the U.S. bio labs. That's the part we don't hear about. Did and you, that's the that's the twisted part. Grabbing a rocket scientist makes complete sense to me. Grabbing a guy who was doing twisted fucking experiments on people. And by the way, you say, well, that can't be true. I say, let me ask you this. So if you're studying something that could kill people, does anyone doubt, for example, that we are studying things that can kill people? Right? The answer course. is no. Right. Well, then the question is, how can you study it without actually testing it on people? And the answer is you can't. So if you think they're studying things to kill people, but don't have any, they're not collecting evidence on how to kill people, then you, that's the delusion. You just found your delusion right there. Right. And you can make a pretty like simple common sense case for that. 
Yeah, that's not too much of a stretch of the imagination. It has to be. You can't just do rat experiments. You can't stop at the rat experiments because it won't necessarily work on humans. And so, the, you know, all these horrible experiments like MK Ultra, you know, the, the Tuskegee thing where they were injecting black guys with syphilis, all sorts of stuff. And that's what they were doing. It was particularly problematic in the 50s and in the 60s. It turns out the Manson murders connects up with the CIA, too. I, was, I read a book on it that I was very reluctant to read because I go, I don't need to connect Charles Manson with the CIA. Um, but a bunch of people recommended it. And, and, and it, was, it was too long. The book was too long, in my opinion. But the guy did this methodical job of chasing down the Manson murders, trying to understand why there were there were storylines that weren't adding up. Hmm. And and so he was he was going to write an article on the anniversary of it, just to sort of do a look back. And he just kept running into walls. And the book again was too long with too little punchline. But at the end, he drew several interesting conclusions. One is is that there was a lot of walk-in clinics in. Um, in Haight-Ashbury region, where where the center of the drug world, and 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 they were CIA-run labs. That was his conclusion, and that they were in theory labs for for various things, for various medical problems that you know the the hippie community was facing. But 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 uh, but and and he connected up Manson with a guy named Jolly West, who I've already run into in this next book. <clears throat> and he said he was just shocked to discover that Jolly West, his Jolly West character, was actually uh, cut his teeth on the MK Ultra program in Boston. And uh, and so uh, and so he connected. So the 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 psych- so the holy grail of the CIA was to connect was to to be able to somehow induce a person to do horrible things, and and not only do them but not remember. Right. Now, here's the one that I've tried to follow up on, and it's my generation's mysterious question, is why did Jack Ruby kill Kennedy? Kennedy, right, right? yeah. Not Kennedy, Oswald, excuse me. The, the, you know, who killed Kennedy? Uh, we don't know who did, but it seems unlikely that it was just Oswald. I, I would say 20% of my generation probably thinks it's still Oswald, but but it, it's pretty clear that Kennedy got whacked by powerful forces. Um, why did Ruby kill Oswald? And the thought is, well, Ruby owed someone. Ruby was beholden to someone, and they said you got to go whack him because the the mob was involved or whatever. You know, fairly simple explanation. Well, it turns out that the 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 plot part that I missed was is that when when Ruby killed Oswald and he was in prison, he he had no recollection of killing him, and he was all confused by it, and he was really kind of psychotic. And, and and so then what happens is is a, a bunch of a bunch of psych psychologists looked at him and said, look, he's he's good to go for trial. And then and then this this Jolly West guy inserts himself into the plot line. And and the guy writing the book says the last thing I wanted to do was find that the Manson killings connected with Kennedy. He said that was my nightmare scenario. And 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 it turns out that Jolly West there's records showing that he inserted himself into the Ruby case. He goes in and spends an hour with Ruby and then he comes out and, 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 and he comes out and he testifies to the judge. He says, Ruby's not qualified to, 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 for trial. He's nuts. He's psychotic. And the judge said, this is bullshit. He's been looked at repeatedly. And what they found is every goddamn 
psychologist they brought in after that said he was psychotic. And there's this question, what did Jolly West do for the hour in the cell that left Ruby incomprehensibly crazed? And, 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 and that's the holy grail. The CIA's, the, the nut they wanted to crack was to get, it, it's like the born identity. It's like, um, it's like, what's that other one? Um, uh, there was a, there was a series on where a guy came, was captured over in the Middle East. He came back and he was a high ranking military guy and he'd been brainwashed, brainwashed being the general term. So in any event, so our military has been fucking with this stuff since World War II, at least. But World War II looks like the start to me. And they, they never stopped. Did you, uh, did you look at the new files that were released on the Kennedy stuff or no? I did not because because here's the problem with the Kennedy stuff. They keep releasing files, and some of the files have some bad shit in them. Like, like the idea that they were going to commit a bunch of atrocities. The CIA was planning to commit atrocities in, in Miami and, and blame the uh, – blame the uh the the cubans right right that's that's sort of 9 11 level stuff but um but 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 it, it hasn't been very revealing the problem is so they release these papers you know piecemeal is there any reason in the world to believe that the papers we're getting are legit yeah i don't know and the answer the answer is no way to know that's exactly right no way to know so by the time they're all out, for all we know, they've all been fucked with. Right. right. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that. I was actually thinking about that last night because I was listening to uh, Oliver Stone's interview with Joe Rogan on uh, his documentary JFK Revisited. And uh, I was thinking about them releasing this stuff. And I was just thinking, like, they, they would never they would never release anything that is not in their best interest. You know, it's like the UFO stuff. People are saying like, oh, well, they're releasing, you know, they released this footage because it's inevitable that people are eventually going to find out about UFOs. So they're starting to let the public in now. They're not doing that. I mean, those aren't the no, fucking no, like the gimbal video. Those aren't UFOs. You know, those are just no, fucking no, not like. Not a bit. Not a bit. And, and so they would never, Dave, they would never release anything that would be detrimental to them. Ever. And, and. Yes, and and the problem is if if you finally release the dirt and said yes, the CIA and LBJ killed Kennedy, you know that sort of thing, right? Who knows? Um, I know a, a a blogger that you know well. I can't name him by name. Um, I talked to him one night, and he and and if you know, if for some reason I trigger a thought, don't say his name, um, but he's a prominent finance blogger, and he said he read all of the. Uh, he said uh, he read essentially all of the Kennedy assassination books, and, his con- and the guy's super smart. He says his conclusion is that most of them, like ninety percent, look like they are written to confuse. Yeah. His, and he says he says it, it appears as though it's now set up such that you couldn't possibly piece the rational story together because there's been so much debris put out there. Here's the reason why they can't let it come out. And that is because once it comes out, we say, wow, it was real. And they did this. Then you, then you don't trust anything. From that point on, you don't trust anything. Of course. And they would never do that. You know, it's right. like, even China. Like, look at China. I mean, China really wants to wrangle control 
of their citizens, right? You know, in a very overreaching type way that the U.S. and uh, Canada we're, we're not far behind, but but we're not there yet. I mean, they really, really seek to have total social control, and even in China, over the last you know month when they started these protests over the COVID lockdowns, the government just threw its hands up in the air and said, "Fuck it, all right, everybody's gonna get COVID now. We're we're done. We can't do it because at the end of the day, we're still outnumbered." You know, and so it just goes to show you that you know, no matter how powerful your bureaucracy is, you know, the power really does still lie with the people. Um, because well, the other thing is, and, and is, doing yes, something I, like if if they re- if they declassified documents that confirmed that you know the Kennedy assassination that something nefarious was up there, it, it would change the state of the nation overnight. Except for the fact that then there's the laptop, which 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 we know is real, and somehow we're gonna just walk from it. Oh, it's it's crazy. We're just gonna walk from it. We're just gonna accept it. And by the time by the time everyone gets it, they'll say, "Yeah, but that's that's old news." And so so they don't have to control the idea that a grand conspiracy can't be true because it's too hard to keep a secret is just a lie. It's a lie. What you have to do is you have to control the response, not the secret itself. So we all know that Kennedy was was shot by a conspiracy. So what? That's it. So what? That's the ultimate answer. So what? And and if there's no response, then there's no problem. And so so now this is why there's this battle for the digital space. And how um, I think I think these guys used to be better at what they did. I think they were sneakier. I think they set up their their bad behavior better. And now what they do is they just do it garishly, and then they and then they just use the media to fill the gaps. So so why do something clean when you can just make sure the media doesn't cover the slop? Look look at the Paul Pelosi story. You know, Paul Pelosi, let's face it, he's just a perv. He's a kinky bastard. He was doing something <laughs> with some guy. And 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 all of a sudden, not only do they try to cover it up, but they try to blame it on white conspiracy theorists. And and you know, if if you're in the media, here's here's columns law number seven hundred and twenty one. If you're in the media and you're knowingly lying to me for some political reason, you're my enemy. You are my enemy. Yeah. And I don't know what being my enemy means. I don't have any say. I'm 67 years old. It's not like I'm going to come and garage or something. But you are my enemy. You are a sick fuck. You are a twisted, sick fuck. I hope you die. I don't care. You are my enemy. Well, I feel like, look, you know, if you just try to objectively examine some things, you know, like the multiple year campaign to to push this idea that, you know, the, that Trump was elected with, you know, Russian collusion. You know, that that was an everyday, all day talking point on most of the media all day, every day. And then when that Mueller report came out, I mean, that story just died on the operating table because oh it's like all right well here we finally reached the point where we need to have some objective third party 
you know, arbiter give us a dose of actual truth as to what happened instead of just conjecture and innuendo. And it's like, all right, well, that takes care of that. And then on the contrary, when you when you look at something like the Hunter Biden laptop story or you look at the way that people were kicked off of social media, vilified. I mean, I just I have such it pains me to know that people like airline pilots you know, were fired from their job for not getting vaccinated. It pains me to know that people, you know, have were kicked off social media and were labeled as conspiracy theorists or terrorists or whatever they're labeling people now for, for, for coming to the, Dave, insane conclusion that the virus may have come from a lab because they told us it came from a wet market that was 10 miles from the lab. You could stand at the guy's seafood shack and see the fucking Wuhan lab over yonder, over the hill, you know, and then right. all of a sudden this thing pops up and we're, we're going to take the Chinese government's word that it came from, you know, a monkey fucking a fish somewhere at a, at a seafood lab. And we're just going to take that at face value. And by the way, we can't, you know, we can't say the virus came from COVID, uh, from China because it's racist. Like, I mean, it's just, it's just, we have lost our minds completely. But the Chinese are not the ones who sold this narrative either. They were quiet. It was the U.S. media, the U.S. scientific establishment. Yeah, we did all the work for them. And, and, and my ilk, the scientists of the world, refused to speak out. They, there, there have to be people out there who knew better. And they didn't want well, to say What about anything. Richard Ebright? He spoke out. He did. That's exactly he's right. Your, he's he your did. colleague at Rutgers. Right. He did. He did. And Scott Atlas yep. and, and Bhattacharya. And so there were, but 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 the rest of them saw the poundings these guys took. And I understand the ones who, if they spoke out, would get fired. I'm telling you, losing your job is not a trivial thing, no, especially not. if especially if it's your it's not just some job working at the seven eleven. Right? So so it's a job where there's thousands more where that came from. That's one thing. But when you're at when you're at the Stanford Medical School and they boot you because you spoke up against the virus or you spoke up against ivermectin. That's a very different level because now you're blacklisted. Now you end up at the 7-Eleven. Yeah, and that's what McCullough was saying on another podcast. It was almost like they just got talking points. Like, nobody stopped to do the research. He always says there's no hospital that's called a center of excellence in treating COVID because everybody's just doing what they're told. And nobody's and the asking reason questions is about it. And the people, the people that are raising cr- critical questions, like McCullough, okay, what is he getting for that? They're they're trying to take, they're trying Pounded. to take his medical license, Dave. They're they're trying to take his fucking medical license from him. Right. So I'm sitting at a jury, and McCullough goes batshit, does something heinous. I'm hanging that jury. He's got a blank check from me. Well, he's he's I'm not convicting him. He's certainly taking, as I said to him, he's certainly taking a different approach than Barrick or, you know, any of these other guys. No, Christian but, Anderson, but who, who when this stuff different. happened, they, they took a step back. And what did McCullough do? He stopped his practice as it existed at that point, which was cardiology and, you know, the heart and kidney right. relationship right. and stopped what the fuck he was doing and diverted 100 percent of his attention to COVID, like Pierre Corey did, right? He did the same thing. Right. Go ahead. Well, so the re- part of the reason is because Barrick is a doctor and a scientist. 
not, not, uh, McCullough and, and Corey are, you know, serious and serious guys intending to get it right. Where, where Barrick and Dasik were involved in, in, in the creation of the virus. They're involved in hiding that they're involved. They are the bad guys. Dasik blocked me on Twitter. I never said a word. I don't know how he got wind of the fact that I'd wring his neck if I could get my hands on him. Oh, he blocked me too. So he just, uh, I've heard that the, uh, within those communities, whether it's climate change or COVID or whatever, that there's, um, there's, there's lists of block. So, so that it, once you're in the, uh, once you're in the climate change block list, the various climate changers block you. I got blocked by Michael Mann. At the, he was at the center of the climate change debate. I never said boo to him, but I did get blocked by a woman I got in an argument with where I said there was fraud and she questioned me and I showed her it was fraud and then she blocked me. <laughs> well, and then like uh, next thing I know. People don't want the facts, Dave. They want to be told what to think. Well, this is why I opened up in my annual write-up this year with the discussion of Eric Hoffer's The True Believer. I don't know if you read the introduction to the thing. You might have gone straight to uh, I, I, I started Ukraine. with part two, yeah. Yeah, go to the introduction. And I, I, I talk a lot about Eric Hoffer's The True Believer, which is a book he wrote in 1953, and it describes everything we're seeing. It describes absolutely everything we're seeing. And he talks about mass movements and how they start and how they get oxygen and what causes them to stop and what causes them to fail miserably and, uh-huh. and who the various players are. And he describes everything we're seeing, everything to a T. Got right into my DNA when I read it. I said, holy shit, that's, that is the world we're staring at right now. So I urge you to go back to the introduction. Just read that part. It's in the first uh, 10 pages. Yeah, they're both on uh, Zero Hedge. Dave Collins, 2022, year in review. <laughs> you just look that up and uh, you'll see it. Um, yeah, you know, just going back to the McCullough interview again, one other thing that I learned from that interview that I wasn't really sure about, although I, I had heard bits and pieces of it because I, I listened to Malone when he does interviews too. And... Uh, was this idea that you know the this synthetic mrna might stay in your system after you've had the vaccine so it it isn't just the the spike protein that you're getting but also you've got this kind of side product the the, the, the delivery guy kind of sticks around also too and they don't really know how long and what effects it has and you know it's parking in people's lymph nodes and uh i found that to be very interesting too i the, the idea that we don't have long-term safety data is still just well, McCullough, in that community, so here's the thing you'll notice about that community. To the last one, the guys who've dug in deeply and tried to fight the good fight have become rabbit hole conspiracy theory level crazies at this point. Every one of them, that fight has caused them to realize how deep and dark the evil is in oh, that yeah. community. So it's McCullough. So. McCullough thinks that the risk of this thing tapers over time. He said that at least, but I'm not sure he has the evidence to even be that optimistic. I think I I think if you've gotten past, you know, jab, die the next day, there's some risk that apparently apparently have gone away. But but I think I, we don't know. As Brett Weinstein said um, uh, in an interview, where it's kind of a retrospective, let's look back, and it was sort of very high level view. Uh, he said, we don't know how many years we've taken off our lives from this vaccine. We just don't know. Right. And and now, for those of you who aren't paying close attention yeah, to this won't. story, 
Well, we will over time, the demographics will show up. And and here's, here's the other problem is that it, you can't trivially separate vaccinated from COVID infected from a combination. Right, exactly. Right? Now, you can do it if people in positions of authority with resources wanted to, but they don't want to. And that's the problem. So some person can't do it because it requires a serious sort of, not a Manhattan Project level, but a serious big effort to, to look at the, the cardiac arrest and to ask, was the person vaccinated or not? And they're not doing it. And all the athletes keeling over on the field. I, You know, this is just not normal. Well, the, and <laughs> again, how, the, the, how issue is gonna be, the issue is going to be differentiating what would have happened if we had, you know, a, a slate where we left everybody unvaccinated and everybody acquired it naturally and everybody had robust natural immunity versus, you know, it's a very thin line between that and versus, all right, well, what kind of damage are we doing by preemptively vaccinating people? It's not a thin line. If you actually look at all the cardiac arrests and you say, okay, let's see which of those were back. Let's look at the cardiac arrests from 40 and under. Let's do 40 and under males just to right. narrow it down to the group that's particularly weird. Right. And, and then say, were they vaccinated? And if they're totally non-statistically vaccinated, then that's the fucking problem. That is the problem. But, but no one's going to do that because they don't have access to the data. To get access to the data requires a position of authority giving it to you. And someone who has sort of open access and has the resources to do it. And that's not coming out of Fauci. It's not coming out of the FDA. It's not coming out of the CDC. It's not coming out of Pfizer. So, um, so then there's this, uh, the other thing is, you know, there are signs. This the story is crumbling. There's no question that the story is leaking out, but it's it's like 14 days to flatten a lie. So they're stalling long enough so that by the time you get the whole data, you're tired about. It. So I I haven't published anything on COVID this year. I have probably 60 or 70 pages of rough draft I've written. I'm not sure I'm going to upload it because it feels feels out of date to me. It feels like a story people do not want to return to to me. And and I, I'm torn because I'm thinking, yeah, but but you should do it anyways. But I, I just don't know. Um, the and I also think there's so many other people looking at that. I try to look at stuff that people aren't looking at, and and this being looked at now hard by a lot of people. So um, so there's things like um, early on. I think it was in 2020. No, 2021. It was 2021. Early 2021. Uh, some Japanese scientists figured out where the vaccine was going after the injection. And in a matter of 20 minutes, it was spreading throughout the body. And, and it was it, the highest point of concentration in women was the ovaries. Now you move to 2022 and you find that, that, um, that um, birth rates are dropping. And the most acute one, the most acute one, and, and the data was from an official Australian website and it was checked by a virologist who I know and she said she dug into it and the data is authentic that that in 2020 in 2020 there was no anomalous change in birth rates in 2021 there was no anomalous change in birth rates until around September it's like hello 
right? Isn't that about the time that you'd start seeing birth rates drop off if there was a problem? That's that's nine months yeah, after the vaccine started getting related, not, not just COVID-related, yeah. That's right. And then the, 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 the data shows that the birth rate in Australia has dropped, wait for it, 80 fucking percent. Yeah, that's... Now... Stunning. Is the data is that just dead wrong data? And 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 then there was some waffling and fact checking. Whenever you see fact checkers, you know there's you know there's something to the story. They don't fact check shit that no one cares about. And, uh, <laughs> so the more fact checking, you want to get the most fact checking. Just look at the Clinton body count. You'll get more fact checks than you can count. Um, and uh, and and so if that's true then it means that we just sterilized an enormous, enormous number of young women. Well, that, is that the dog snoring? Yeah, we're back to that one. I think that happened last time we had a podcast. I, it so. did, it did. But your, your, your listener said, fuck the dog snoring, dude. It's not a problem. Oh, no all more right. words. All right, well, then we'll leave him be that. <laughs> I, I checked the comment section. I said, forget the fucking snoring dog. This is the little one. The other one's the one who I pinched his leg in the lazy boy and he took off. He said, I've had enough of this. Well, I've got um, like, that attention deficit disorder. So all I can hear is that. So I'm like, you know, I can hear your words, but just in between dog snores because that's all I'm thinking about. So that's okay. It's all right. Let the dog snore. Who cares? Let him be. It's the day after Christmas. I'm sure he's exhausted. Well, the other thing is we have four Boston Terriers in the house right now, so they're all either raising holy hell or sleeping it off. <laughs> so there's no in between. You know, I think when you talk about the media like we were doing, and you... <laughs> Here, I'll get this dog off because I've got headphones on, so I can't hear. I've got sound dampening headphones. Oh. And so I can't yeah. hear the snoring. Uh, now, I'm okay. gonna, now, now I'm going to get beat up. Now people are going to be no, like, no, why the dog you have to say something about the dog? You know. Yeah, um, that's okay. You know, when, when you talk about the media, and uh, I forget the fucking point I was going to make. Who cares? Anyways, uh, let's talk about the, uh, the Twitter files because this is another thing where you look at stuff like how the narrative has been managed on COVID, how the narrative was managed with the Hunter Biden story. That story is still, by the way, maybe we didn't even give it its due. That is still stunning. You know, what what came out in these Twitter files essentially is that they didn't really have any evidence that it was misinformation, but that didn't stop them from A, telling people it was disinformation, and B, silencing people who raised very legitimate, obvious questions about the uh, the laptop's uh, provenance, what have you. And, and, and it was the DNC and the FBI. And the New York Post and Tucker Carlson, who had Tony Bobolinsky on in that follow-up interview, should have fucking Pulitzer Prizes, both yep. of them, for exposing a what was a huge grift, you know? A huge story about peddling influence in China when the U.S.-China relations was a key topic heading into that particular election. So you hear about all this, oh, blah, 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 election interference. Like, where's the election interference really coming from? So now, have you have you looked at what we've seen here with the Twitter files and how exactly how commingled social media and, and the intelligence agencies have become? Um, I've been picking it up. I've been 
busily writing until just recently. So I, I, I missed a lot. Um, it's happening in an awkward period of the year for me. So, uh, so I'm going to be playing catch up on this, but, but it's clear to me that first of all, what we all knew was happening. We now realize how, uh, it wasn't just a bunch of super left wingers mm -hmm. in, in, in Google and Facebook and Twitter who decided that they were woke enough to rule the world. Right. It was, it was uh, the Praetorian Guard, the FBI, and the DNC. And here's the question I have. So, so a lot of people talk about how the two parties are really just the same party. But I can't see that right now. Now, I don't think if you elect a bunch of Republicans, anything's going to get any better. Because right. guess what? The Praetorian Guard's going to switch teams. Right, right, yep. And, and so, and that's what they did. New emperor, new guy to protect. So what? Um, but it, it appears to me right now, it is all left wing. It appears to me this neo-Stalinist behavior is coming from the left. And if someone can show me right wingers doing really, really bad things like the left wing is doing, I'm all ears, but I, I'm, I've been watching for it intentionally. And, and, what I'll tell you is, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell is as bad as anybody. He's I, I'll, I'll, he's, he's not just useless; he's destructive. Um, Lindsey Graham, you know, you know, don't watch your watch your step through crosswalks, Lindsey. Um, and uh, but but I don't. It seems to me the right wing is not playing a very good game, unless that's what it's all about. Now I think the problem is it it's. It's going to look left wing until the 2024 election, because until we know Trump can't be reelected, the Praetorian Guard is protecting the deep state against Trump. And so that's why I think the right wing looks like they're not even in the game. It seems like they haven't suited up. And the left wing is running, you know, scoring repeatedly. And, and I think it's because um, neither party wants Trump. Yeah. You can you can't you can you can name people who tied their wagon to Trump, but you can't name people who you with with full confidence behind closed doors would say, I really support Donald Trump that that you wouldn't know. You, you don't know who's just tied their wagon to him and who really supports him. And so uh, those guys, you know, like Pence, for example, right? Did Pence start Trump under the bus? Did he do it just because it's like, hey, look, I can see the writing on the wall. I got no choice. Or did he did he always hate the guy? I don't know. Um, so so I think until twenty twenty four, and we know for sure that, that 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 they no longer have to defend against Trump. I think the Republicans are going to look neutered, and the Democrats are going to be riding roughshod over everything. Well, what do you think is going to happen in twenty twenty four? Who do you think the nominee will be for uh, the GOP? You think Biden will run again too? I mean, I think so. I don't. No, I don't think Biden's going to run. Really? I think Biden's a a, um, a distraction, a, an intentional distraction. While we're screaming about Biden, I think they're putting together some sort of team to eventually take over. But Biden's just too incompetent at this point. I mean, he's just. I would. I thought he was in 2020. So maybe there is no limit to what they'll do to put a nutball in the White House. Yeah. But I think by 2024, I mean, I think he's going to be, you know, eating applesauce and that's it. And, uh, I wrote, and so I wrote in my predictions last year that I don't I don't think he's going to finish his term. I just I don't know. 
I just don't see. Well, he's starting to look like he is. I mean, I didn't think he'd make it through one year at one point, but I also thought Cuomo was going to knock him out and get the the the, the white knight nomination. Uh, that didn't exactly play out well, did it? No. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I don't. I you know Biden to me, Biden's a kind of a, a, a paradox to me because on the one hand he's lost his marbles, and so in in some sense his administration is not about Biden. But on the other hand, I think he's still saying shit he says, and I think the buck still stops at the top, and I think he's still got uh, horrific personal qualities. He's, his administration is horrifically lopsided towards complete insane people. Yeah. And, and so I think it's been, I think it's been so destructive. I thought Biden was going to pivot to the middle, and they were going to put a bunch of Democratic power brokers in there, and it would, we'd go back to normal. No, we have and, the nuclear transsexual stealing luggage at the airport. That's what we have. And and, and we've got we've got uh, we've got you know uh, uh, tra- transgender uh, uh, drag queen shows for toddlers. You know, I'm I'm waiting I'm waiting for the cancel culture to give me guff on that one. I'm gonna sit there and I'm gonna make them say that they support transgender drag queens well, i'm fine with transgender drag queens i don't mind transgender yeah, just drag, not drag queens. i just don't want them in front of it you know i don't have any kids but if i did i wouldn't want my five six That's seven exactly eight right. nine ten year old kids at a fucking drag show I, That's I've, so I've, inappropriate i've got you know i've got just like i wouldn't bring them to a fucking strip club a straight strip club, you know what I mean? That's like, right. That's <laughs> right. Don't want the pole dancers out there either. Oh, right? that doesn't make any sense, you know? Like, I don't know. And this is where a guy like Matt Walsh is making great headway. Yeah, he is actually because because he's also very good at it. I mean, he's not just picked the right topic, but he himself is very good at it. And uh, and so I, I think the parents of the world are going to unite against this crap. And the problem is, is there any evidence that? that there's any consequence of them getting this wrong. Right. So the DNC should have been, the the red tide should have occurred. Yeah. The DNC should have been taken off the field on stretchers in the last election. I know. Out out of principle, out of when you, when you, when you, well, (laughs) it's assuming the elections are legit. When you fuck up as bad as the DNC did from 2020 to 2022, you should be sent to the bench period. You should be said to regroup and look at the mistakes you made and have to figure out how you screwed up and have to ask the question, why did it work so poorly? And instead, somehow that election said, oh, it worked fine. And when you go to any town USA, okay, I lived in the suburbs for a couple of years over the last couple of years in a community that was, you know, surrounded that uh, surrounded an elementary school and everybody in the neighborhood had kids that went to the school. And when you talk to the parents, they're not interested in this shit in the school. They don't want the kids learning about, you know, how to give blowjobs in third grade in textbooks. Uh, They don't want the kids, you know, some of the kids at the elementary school, elementary, primary school, zero through. Yeah, toddlers almost. Toddlers. Toddlers, right, exactly. The kids identifying as dogs and cats and furries at the school, I mean, it's just the parents, the, there was not one parent that I talked to that, you know, over the course of a year or two, and I talked to, you know, dozens of them that was interested in in having the children indoctrinated with that at the schools. Now, I live in Center City, Philadelphia, okay? 
the state that just elected John Fetterman as a United States senator, okay, <laughs> who who has who has you know Mayor Kenny and uh, DA Krasner who have made a career of letting criminals out of prison and going easy on people, which is why the the city is essentially just turning into a shithole. And you talk to people like in the neighborhood that I live in, and it's a very liberal liberal vibe in the city, very liberal vibe. But everybody says the same thing. There's too much crime. The city's getting out of control. It's noticeably noticeably worse since I've been here. There's homeless people on every block. The drug problem is making its way down from Kensington down down to Center City into the affluent areas of the city. It's starting to like brush up against people's uh, personal borders and boundaries. Everybody's saying the same thing. Nobody wants to fucking nobody wants to vote Republican. You know, this fucking guy Krasner is going to stay in office. You know, Kenny's going to... There's a guy in Philadelphia, too. Let me just drop an endorsement. There is a councilman in Philadelphia named David O, who is a Republican, who's been... He's the council member at large. He's been on the Philadelphia City Council for a long time, who's going to run for mayor. And I think this guy should be the mayor. He is a common-sense Republican. He is a law-and-order guy. He's a former veteran. He's got great standing with pretty much everybody in the community. He's a wonderful human being. Just my little plug for David O. But the mayor in Philadelphia is just... He's useless. He's And Dave, you see it everywhere. You see it on the subways. You see it just walking around. People are getting shot in Old City, okay? Which is like where you used to go to live when you had some money. You know, you would go to Old City because there was no crime. There was no... It's just stunning. And so here I see everybody in the city wants change when it comes to crime. Everybody wants law and order. Every, nobody in the suburbs wants their kids to be indoctrinated with this stuff. Yet, somehow, somehow John Fetterman becomes a U.S. senator. I don't know. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Maybe, well, I'm, maybe I'm just not in touch. Maybe I'm living in an echo chamber and I'm just not in touch with the rest of the, the country. Maybe that's what it no, is. No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think the rest of the country doesn't have access to a microphone so i think i think there's a silent majority out there that's humongous and and when it comes to voting i mean if you look at the arizona elections um what a shock you know the voting machines were getting clogged and then they find out that the actual ballots were an inch wider than they were in every other district and you go, well, you know, I'm pretty sure that you guys really were knew how wide the ballots were supposed to be. And uh, and so, you know, I, I we, we the problem is, is that 97 percent reelection rate means that uh, means that uh, Republicans like the system as it is, too. Right. All these guys agree on one thing. They all want to be reelected. Right. <laughs> and, and so with 97 percent reelection rates, you know, why would you ever break that system? I don't so know. I, you know, I and then I have to wonder about things like how many votes did John Fetterman get through mail in before that debate? How many people could have watched that debate? I think the abortion issue was a big issue for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people probably voted um Democrat based on that issue. And I, you know, look, I understand that if that's, if that's your issue and you stand on that policy, it doesn't really matter whether you have an upturned fucking broom with a bucket for a head in there, as long as they're voting for you the right way, which is pretty much what Fetterman turned out to be. If you watch that debate, not, you know, I, 
I think it's terrible that he had a stroke, and I hope he gets better, and I don't wish harm upon anybody. I really don't. But I, it, there is also a part of me that sits and watches that debate. I mean, he's clearly not processing. He, he, he's just not there. And then, you know, I walk through my neighborhood, and people have Fetterman signs everywhere, and I'm just like, what? Are you guys watching the same thing I'm watching? Shouldn't there be basic... Shouldn't we have basic competency levels to be able to be a representative? And then it's like, all of a sudden, oh, you, well, you're ableist if you think that. I'm just like, well, I guess I am, you know, because you want people to be yeah, able. Competence. You want people to be able to do things, you know. I mean, is it is it ableist that I don't want somebody with a double digit IQ flying a 737? You know, that's no, not ableist. That's just I want somebody that is going to be able to do the job properly. It's you know. I don't I don't really get it, man. We have just we have it's like we've just fucking like it's like we all we hit control shift I in paint on the whole world and we just went to the inverse of everything. You know? So we just turn the world inside out, Dave. And the, thing, well, the me, things that don't matter matter. A, Go ahead. I I read not too long ago that there's two critical features of controlling the population. One is fear and the other is demoralization. Yeah, the, the fear, you know, you get the COVID and you get all these things and everything seems to be to get the, the people riled up about stuff. The demoralization could explain what I keep focusing on is the garishness of it all. What so when we well, so when we find out that the vaccines don't work and they still keep pumping them, there's no remorse. There's not no nothing. They just keep pumping them. And so. It's demoralizing when you realize that the facts don't matter at all. And when you find out and the laptops are shown to be true and, and you, and, 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 and they become, so what that's demoralizing when there's no, you know, you look at that Nixon, Nixon got kicked out of office for stuff that's laughably trivial compared to the shit happening now. Right. So, so it's possible. It's the garishness of it. It's the in your face, yeah. We don't care if you know because it doesn't matter and we don't care what you know and we're going to do what we're going to do anyways. <laughs> and 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 that that would be enough to make a person say fuck it, I'm going in my hole and stay. The big lie. There. Yep, the big lie. The big the big lie. And so um so it's Goebbels, you know, on steroids. And it's like when Ackman went after Herbalife and said you're a pyramid scheme. And they said no we're not. And he's like, yeah. Mathematically, I can lay it out. You know, the, the the entire company's business model is built on a mathematic impo- mathematical impossibility. You know, and they were just like, no, it isn't. You know, like we well, then, we sell great products. It's just like you know, you have the FTX scandal. Go ahead. I mean, that's you have like the FTX the scandal. You have the FTX scandal where people's life savings were were swallowed. And you find out that all that money went to the DNC and went to Ukraine and went to went to Zelensky and went to various pa- super PACs under the name of climate change and 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 COVID pandemic change and shit like that, and and yet these were people's life savings, in some cases. Now, more importantly, it also looked like a U.S. government um, money laundering scheme. We, we know how much supposedly was lost. The claims of, you know, 10 billion or whatever lost by FTX. We don't know the volume of money that was moved through FTX into Ukraine, back to the DNG. That, that volume could have been much bigger. 
And so as we send $100 billion to Ukraine, how much that ended up back at the DSC? So then Biden's press secretary, Jean, whatever her name is, um, Karen Pierre something, she gets asked, are they going to give back the money because they're trying to make some people whole or partially whole again? And she pleaded the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I think, let me take, let me do me a favor. Let me get some dental tools. I'll get it out of you. <laughs> I'll get it out of you. So you said I don't wish harm <laughs> upon anyone. You're a much better man than I. I don't. I wish harm. I wish harm on these people. I don't advocate for violence. I, I'm not advocating for violence. I'm wishing harm upon them. I want okay. them. I want. I want Tony Fauci <laughs> to die from a vaccine death. All right. I get it though. Why, why, I mean, is, get, why get, is that not right? Why is that not right? I'm not saying it's not right, and I get your outrage. It's just not my style. I don't sit here and say yeah, I want this guy to die. Style. I want that guy to die. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. It's just they're, they're mass murderers. The case is certainly shaping up like that a little bit. I mean, I'm I'm not going to sit not here and say bit. Tony Fauci is a mass murderer, but I will say I will. that there is I a. Will. Gro- I know you will. I'm just saying there's a growing body of evidence that is making things look very different than how they were presented to people. That's, Did you that's read Kennedy's book? Did you read Kennedy's book? No, I don't fucking read books. What are you talking about? I, well, I go it's running an audio and book. I go drink whiskey It's an audio book. Jog with an audio book on. Kennedy okay, I can do been, that. Kennedy has been bird-dogging Fauci for 30 years. Fauci right? has been killing people in clinical trials for 30 years. Mass quantities of death. What do you mean mass 30... quantities? I mean, people die in clinical trials all the time. Okay, let me give an example That's of clinical trials. the point of a clinical trial. No, it's not the point of a clinical trial. Well, not to trial. kill people, but <laughs> the, no, no. Point, once, the point is once that... you get it, once you get a couple, once you get a couple of deaths, it's game over. Correct. Not Always. Fauci, yep, bro. that's right. Not in Fauci land. Not in Fauci land. He killed thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Fauci was doing clinical trials. Here, here's here's one example. They were doing repeated clinical trials of various drugs on inner city foster kids. Who is more defenseless than some inner city foster kid? That's a good point. And when when the kids finally figured out the drugs were making them sick and they'd refuse it, they jammed feeding tubes down their throats. Whose consent consent did they get? First off, what trial was that? Second off, whose consent did they get to do that? Whose consent did they get to do that to begin with? Fauci. Yeah, but Fauci. he can't give permission on behalf of the minors. There, there had to have been you, somebody else that signed no, no, off no, on no, it, No, 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 no. Inner city foster kids. You really think those parents, those those adults who are accepting, I don't know what, $100 a week or something to, to raise a foster kid, gives a damn what happens to those kids on average? No. No. These are kids who have no adults to defend them. They have no parents. Right. And he th- th- it's the last person on the planet who can give consent to be in a clinical trial. Right, an exactly. inner city foster kid. That's murder. It's murder at a level that is unimaginable. You send them to Nuremberg, you put them in a fucking gas chamber, and you fry them, and you do whatever you got to do to them. You get them off the surface of the earth. You clean the gene pool. You execute them. I'll pull the fucking lever. It's evil. What um? What trial was that that you're talking about? I'm talking about the Nuremberg trials after the Nazis oh, got I know that. God. I'm saying what clinical trial? 
There's dozens of them. You got to read Kennedy's books. Give me one. I, I can't name them by the drug. Kennedy's book is like 900 pages. Okay. All right. Well, I'm just asking. No, I, you, well, read you, the book. You, you've read it. I haven't. I'm asking for Oh, no. Me. Here's what I can tell you. I have, through social media, attempted to get anyone who will listen to read Kennedy's book. No one has ever reached out to me and said, I don't believe it. No one has ever reached out to me and said anything but I'm 100 pages in. I'm so disgusted. I'm so appalled. We need a rope. I'll read that it. Is, read it. If you can get 100 pages in without being staggered, you're different than me. All right. Staggered. And, 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 and then you read John Abramson's book, which is Kennedy hates Fauci to the core, to the core. Right. Abramson's book is much more of a sterile look at, at, at clinical trials. The, the FDA clinical trial system is broken. Right. It is broken to the core. It should be destroyed and rebuilt from scratch with some very careful stuff put in. The stuff they do, they, here's one for you. This worked really well for the bond rating agencies. Pfizer pays a, a fly-by-night company to run a clinical trial. Right. Is, is that fly-by-night company going to give them bad numbers? It would be in their best interest not to. And then if they get destroyed because something goes bad, what do you do? You set up another. Right. I mean, I don't think here's it's, a, here's it's a case study. Are, here's an Abramson case study. Neurontin. This came out in a court case. So the story is out there. Neurontin is an, uh, a neuropathic pain medicine. So it was first cleared for shingles. Let's, for fun, pretend like it was a legitimate clinical trial, which I would never assume. At this point, nothing. If I take it, I'm not ever again taking a drug because some blood level's wrong. I'm never again taking a drug, which I can't identify right. the cure. So they put so neurons out there to cure, to, to mitigate the pain of shingles. Now, Amberson goes through great detail about how they get the clinical trial to be passed. Let's pretend like it was legit. So then they say, oh, let's try this for generalized neuropathic pain, you know, chronic pain, something big, not the crack, right? So they do the clinical study. They get nothing. So they get a they get a special blue ribbon committee of no, outsiders. No efficacy, you mean? No efficacy, zero. Okay. They, they get an external committee. Abrams is from Harvard Medical School. He's the guy who figured out that, uh, that Vioxx was killing people. So Abramson says they round up a blue ribbon committee and the committee, and they said, basically, look at the data, find, make lemonade out of lemons, find, find a success in here. The external committee on record says, you got nothing, it's over. So then what they do is they unofficially go to the FDA and the FDA says, don't even think about it. <laughs> Can't do it. So and what then, do they do? Right. So then what happens is they go to a couple of guys in med schools and they have them publish a paper right. on the efficacy of Neurontin for neuro, uh, uh, neuropathic pain. In general, right. Right. And, you know, here's what you don't know about clinical studies in New England Journal of Medicine and Journal of American Medical Association. There's no fucking data. If you actually read a clinical study in there, there's a bunch of bar charts and shit. There's no data. The referees don't get to see the raw data. The editors don't get to see the raw data. Fifteen editors of major journals said this is inexcusable. We got to get the raw data. The head of the New England Journal of Medicine 
said, after 20 years of being editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, what I, I hate to say this, but you can't believe anything in this journal. She said that. So these guys publish a paper that's crap. Then the company who sells around, I can't remember which one, buys a million preprints, reprints, right. which, by the way, for a publisher at about a buck a pop, that's good money. And then they distribute them to doctors. The multi-billion dollar drug Neurontin is now 98% off-label prescription for general neuropathic pain. Mm. It's a fake. It's a fake. It's like remdesivir. It's like remdesivir. It's, it's like... Um, it's like the Sarepta drug, too. The other one that they were using for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. I mean, the fucking clinical trials were showing nothing. And I forget what they did, but they... You know, rounded up a couple of panels and did this, that, and the other, like you're talking about. They went to Kinko's. They printed out a mission statement. They printed out a million copies of it. The things we think and do not say by Jerry Maguire. You know, they you... They, they distributed them, and lo and behold, the fucking thing got approved. And Sarepta stock went from eight to uh, 150 overnight. I remember that. And do you remember when Biogen had an Alzheimer's drug? No. And the committee voted 13 out of 14. No. The 14 said, I'm not sure, and they cleared it. <laughs> no. A $56,000 a year drug. When was that? This was 2020. Really? No, I, I, somehow I didn't even hear that. So the FDA is a wipeout. I wouldn't, I, you just, my wife took a drug. She's had a vomiting problem. Yes. And I realized it was a seizure problem. We put her on Dilantin. And I figured it out, not the doctors. I figured it out. We put her on Dilantin, and it seemed to get it under control until, of course, 2021, where for some reason it went out of control. Oh, my God, it's after the vaccine. Maybe there's a correlation. Well, no one's ever going to figure that out. So we, we, we went to the neurologist. They switched drugs. They switched to a thing called a Lamotrigine, I think it's called. And, and, uh, and we talked to the guy, and he said, you know, the positive this and that. And so she goes on and. Next thing she knows, she gets this nasty rash. And then you find out that one in 10 patients on Lamotrigine get this rash right. that can be fatal and that they say you have to go off it immediately and you have to go straight to the emergency room. 10% of the people going on Lamotrigine end up at the ER. 10%. What kind of drug is that? Yeah, it's not. And it's just she's, like, on, she's on another anti-seizure drug for another reason. And it's it made her bat shit crazy. And it took us a couple it took us a long time to figure out what was happening. And one night on a phone call late at night when she just completely I I was talking to a neurologist for two hours on a Saturday night. And we're going through a very complicated health case here, right? We get the Kepra. Kepra is the name of the drug. And it turns out that he says, when she go on the Kepra? And I said, oh, about three months ago. He says, he said, it's the Kepra. That's it. I mean, she, it was like anger in a bottle. It was the most unbelievable thing. It's like, you know, I've seen divorce courts that are more civil than this. Yeah. And it turns out she goes off the Kepra and it all goes away. It's called Kepra Rage. If you go on, here's my advice to your listeners. If you, if you go on any new drug, any drug you've never gone on, go on Twitter Search the drug and start reading the tweets. And if you do it for Kepra, you'll find a bunch of goddamn people saying, 
you know, it makes me so anxious. It makes me angry. My family doesn't understand me. I don't know what's going on. That's what you find on Twitter. And I found myself going through the Twitter feed, searching it and saying, it is the Kepra. You got to get off it. It happened to my wife. You're not nuts. It's the Kepra. It's called Kepra rage. Did the doc tell her anything about this? They don't know. How many lives were destroyed by Kepra rage? Well, so, so, look, the idea, you don't know. the idea, okay, just in general, because I talk about this with my mother. I had a period of years where I was, you know, trying a bunch of different medicines for things and basically just had a period of hypochondria that I went through, but did have some issues that I wound up having that I think turned out right. to be nerve issues. Um, but went through, you know, a bunch of tests. This summer, I also had to go through a bunch of tests. I, you know, I've been through the ringer when it comes to the healthcare system. My mom is also like similar situation as your wife, but correctly, you know, is, is skeptical and suspicious of the harm that a lot of these drugs do before they make things better and, and has an issue, you know, with side effects from drugs. And I think that the idea of prescribing anything before a doctor tells a patient you need to get to a certain body mass index, you need to get to a certain weight, and you need to go on a whole foods plant-based diet. Those should be the first three things that you tell somebody. And 90 to 95% of the problems are going to go away if you do something like that. Or if you have an allergy, you know, test for celiac, test for food allergies. The problem is the alarm is coming from the inside. It's the things that we're putting inside of our body that create a lot of the issues that we have to begin with. It's terrible food, processed food, sugar, fucking, you know, high fructose corn syrup, and the combination of that and sitting on your ass all day. You take those things out of the equation, you get moving, you get, you fucking get to a healthier weight, you lose some weight, your blood pressure comes down, get all those things out of the way first, all right? You know, hey, look. I've been eating a whole food plant-based diet for 15 days. Uh, you know, check your vitals then as you check them 15 days prior. And if they haven't improved, okay. But all those things should be done first. And then, only then, if there's an issue, should it be. You know, I had a, a nurse tell me one time, well, you know, people can't really do anything about high blood pressure because it's genetic. And I'm like, well, actually, you know, people can lose weight. If you lose weight. You know, your blood pressure has a tendency to go down because your heart doesn't have to work as hard, right? So why isn't that the first thing people do, all right? Adjust your lifestyle first. Then if there's an issue, consider medication. But the idea that you're just going to, like you're saying, pop the medications first willy-nilly, given all of the side effects, is stunning. And, and again, this circles right back to the COVID vaccines, right? Right back to, are you in good shape to begin with? How's your immune system normally? How does your body handle things normally? And is there any need to go get a vaccine first when natural immunity has been proven to be more robust anyways to begin with? And so I think we have the cart in front of the horse, Dave. Yes. Here's what I think has happened. I think that pharma um, picked the low-lying fruit. So when they, you know, great inventions, things like the... Uh, uh, penicillin, and, and there are various things that work great. I'd give the Nobel Prize whoever invented Imodium. Um, and, uh, and, and, and they got the low-lying fruit, and now 
now they're having trouble with the blockbusters. They're having trouble getting the big drugs. And, and what they're doing, what they've done is instead of being a, a, an industry that really at some level should be shrinking because there's, there's, it's like an oil company that's run out of reserves or something, then uh, what they've done is they've turned to graft and corruption to keep their market cap up, to keep the, 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 the stock compensation and options compensation up. It's just to keep, to keep big, right? That's what's happened. They've, 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 and I think, I think you can't be in a, those top positions without being a sociopath. I think there's people within pharma who are absolutely positively trying to get it right. And I think there's guys at the, at the top where the, where the corruption pharma is, by the way, I know the organic chemists and I think they do a great job where the corruption is, is precisely at the stage of the clinical trials. They can rig a clinical trial. Like there's no tomorrow. I have no doubt. If you read the real Anthony Fauci, you'll find out how they rig, how they rig the clinical trial for AZT. Let me tell you the AZT story. So AZT is a brutal drug. It just shreds you. It torches you. What's AZT short for? Oh fuck, I can't remember. It's a, it's I, uh, it's an azetidine, so it's probably something okay. to do with that. Okay. Um, but but it was a, it was the first anti-AIDS drug, and I remember I was sort of at ground zero because a friend of mine was at Roche, and and there was this big brawl to see who would get to produce the AZT for the for the trials and to sell and stuff like that, and I think. <laughs> I think Roche got it, if I remember correctly, based on a great, cool political move. Um, in any event, so it turns out during the AZT studies, they unblinded them. They they revealed who was getting the AZT and who was not, and they were switching them. They were switching from the control group to the AZT group. The AZT group, they were doing blood transfusions on people to keep them alive during the trial because they were dying. So the, it was complete fraud. It was complete fraud. Then what happens? They declare AZT is good. Now, here's where it gets really nasty. So AZT is a lethal drug. It kills people. Now, let's say you get a new reverse transcriptase inhibitor. Let's take, for example, you discover Splenda. Right? You go, oh, I bet it's reverse transcriptase inhibitor too. It's not, of course. It's a sweetener. But let's say you think of what's your control group now? It's not saline, it's AZT. So now I would submit that Splenda would come across as a superior, superior AIDS drug against the control group because AZT was killing people. And, and they would say, look at how bad AIDS is. Look at how many people are dying from it. And, and even, you know, even the AZT patients are getting slaughtered, right? Well, I think Splenda would beat AZT, and if AZT is your control, you've now got a bar that not only is low, but it's sub-zero. You've got a control group that's getting killed by the control against your new drug. Guess what happens? Your new drug ends up looking pretty good, much higher survival rate. That's that, that He goes into great detail about that. You know, one of the first organic chemists I ever met in my life was a guy. I, I used to work for a company that would uh, take uh, certain types of waste plastic and, and break it down back into usable fuels. And we had an organic chemist that worked there. And I went out to lunch with him one day. 
and uh, and I ordered a diet coke, and he used to drink he used to drink red wine at lunch every day, and uh, and he said to me, "What are you doing? You know, drinking that shit?" And I'm like, "Colin, you're fucking drinking red wine at lunch every day, you know." And he's like, "Ah," he's like, uh, he said something about you know what am I doing ordering diet coke every day? It's worse than drinking red wine. And I was like, "What do you mean?" And he's like. He's like, wow, the aspartame. He's like, your body doesn't know what it is, so it just covers it up with a cyst, you know? And I was like, what? And he, like, started explaining to me, like, about aspartame. And I was just like, oh, my God. And I started thinking about it. Like, how is it possible that I could – and this is not a chemist's take on the situation. And I don't remember the, <laughs> I don't remember the conversation completely, but he said something to that effect. But I remember, like, later on thinking to myself, like, how can I go buy a Diet Mountain Dew? And drink that on my way home from work and have it taste like I'm drinking a soda, but be ingesting zero calories. How is that possible? How is it possible that I'm getting all the sensations of taste and sugar, but I'm not actually ingesting calories? Something is really wrong there. And I don't know what it is. I'm not a chemist. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure that's true, though. So your taste buds are basically these receptors that recognize sugar. Right. right, so recognize salt, recognize sour. That has nothing to do with the nutritional value. So if you can get a molecule that has no nutritional value whatsoever, but it 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 hits the receptor well. Right. Is that what aspartame you, does? That's what they all do. Yeah. That your 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 sense of sweet is is coming from your tongue. The metabolism is is way far away. Hmm. And so, so there's no reason why faking out your taste buds should necessarily mean there must be something else going on. Okay. These are just these are just little pockets where a molecule fits in, and if you can get a molecule to fit in the same place that sugar fits, it's like a it's like a, a lock and key. If you get a key that goes <laughs> in the lock well, well, that's the analogy they use in proteins uh, enzyme sites. If you can get something that imitates, that's what a lot of the drugs are. Is they they imitate they imitate um, you know, your body has not natural pain management mechanisms, right? Endorphins and things like that. And and the, the, the pain management drugs are ones that hit those same receptors to give you pain relief. And so so and where the addiction comes in is various corrective mechanisms where your body demands more. Right. And uh, stuff like that. So 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 not everything is that bad. I, I have So is is aspartame okay? What do you think as an organic uh, chemist? Well, there there could be another reason why aspartame's bad, but the fact that it tastes sweet is not the problem. Well what's the at all. what could the other reason be? Well it could be a carcinogen or something, right? It could That's be That's what he it, said. Those were his exact words. He said it's a carcinogen. But, but, he said he just jogged well, my memory. He said it's a carcinogen. One of the things that's that's every bit as mucked up as what we've been talking about is our, our, it, nutrition is an area filled with voodoo. And so, so there's a book called why we get fat. And it's one of my favorite books on the subject. Who wrote it? Dr. Peter Hotez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And the reason what the reason I like the book is because he goes into the fat deposition mechanism. So it's not about what you eat. It's about what are you doing to trigger fat deposition and it turns out the reason fructose is so bad for you is because fructose has the critical components that trigger fat deposition by the way the fat that you deposit doesn't come from fat 
So these low fat diets to lose weight and stuff like that, mm -hmm. they make they make no sense. That's not where the fat comes from. What do the you fat mean? the fat comes from the carbohydrates. Okay. And so what happens is is what you want to do is it's the triggering of insulin in big quantities right. that triggers the, the fat deposition mechanism. So you get this big wad of insulin. And your body says, because of the way we evolved, your body says, oh, extra energy, too much rapid access energy. Let's convert some into storage. Right. And so it deposits fat. So what your really goal, I believe, is, is to avoid insulin spikes. And that means to avoid things that trigger insulin. And it's not the taste buds in your tongue. It's the metabolic pathways of the sugar. So what triggers insulin the most? Fructose. Okay. That that's why the high, that's why the fructose corn syrup seems to correlate. What what is fructose in? in? What 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 has a lot of fructose in it? Um, anything that's been sweetened artificially, they don't use sucrose anymore. They use fructose. Well, what about fruit that's sweetened naturally? Is that okay? Uh, well, it, put it this way: it's it's you're not getting big doses, and you're also getting the benefits of the fruit. So you're at the least fiber, there's right. a trade-off. Yeah, I imagine even eating fruit could be potentially bad for you because you know but 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 I, I i sense now if you look at for example i looked at mayonnaise when i was i go occasionally go on atkins i looked at mayonnaise so, this morning i'm as i'm as guilty as Ho hotez um was in great shape <laughs> i was 45 ended up with back surgery tried to recover and i said fuck it and, and i've just let myself slip yeah but you're so not I, telling everybody to go out there never mind go ahead right right so um so when I would go on the Atkins diet, so what I did is I started paying attention to where the carbs were. Right. You discover two things. One is you discover that if you go shopping and you're looking for non-carb containing food, you'll never leave the perimeter of the store. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you'll be, you'll go through the vegetable aisles yep. along the dairy aisles, you know, things like that. You, once you get into the middle of the store where there's the cans and the boxes and shit, that's where you find that's the That's what car. all these fucking Whole Foods, raw Whole Foods diet guys say, like Ornish and everything. They say stay on the perimeter of the of the store. That's right. The second thing is I looked at um, mayonnaise, which is basically fat. Right. Which is not bad for you, according to the Atkins. And, 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 and then I looked at Miracle Whip, which I like better. And I found out that Miracle Whip's like 28% oh. carbs. Miracle Whip is disgusting. You like Miracle Whip more than you like mayonnaise? I, I, yeah, I do. But 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 besides that, it's 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 a carbathon. It's a massive carb thing. Forget about the carbs, just the taste. No, I like you're the taste making of a turkey Whip. sandwich. You got a thing of Miracle Whip and a thing of mayonnaise. You're going for Miracle Whip. Well, I'm not sure on on each item, but for example, there are things I like Miracle Whip better with. Yeah, that's crazy. That's well, I, I can't be totally crazy because they sell a lot of Miracle Whip. So there's there's others who agree. That it, oh yeah, there are there are many others that agree. Um, but you know, it's just uh, it's like a ranch versus blue cheese thing. Uh, so if you're looking for a the the best and the healthiest way to lose weight for your body, what what would you do? I mean, just cut the carbs and cut the sugar. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm pretty good. I'm pretty content i read about the atkins diet several times and when i first started reading about it it was speculative and you'd go to wikipedia and you'd say well you know there's this belief and it's not sure you go to wikipedia now and you pretty much find out that the atkins diet um is now accepted 
Um, With constraints, though. You can't go out and eat, you know, processed meats every day and bacon every day and, you know. Uh, actually, you can and lose a ton of weight. Well, you can lose a ton yes. of weight, but you're clogging up your arteries. Well, I guess so. But, but, but you know, if, if – no, no, but, but, but let's keep things in perspective. If your biggest problem is being a big fat fuck, you stay – you stay focused, and if it takes eating bacon to become less of a big fat fuck, you eat bacon. Yeah, right. Yeah, but you can't stay on that. that like that's well, not yeah, a sustainable long term. That's that's the problem. That's the problem. So I, that's why I go on and off. And so it's like leading off the bag in baseball. Mm-hmm. Then you have to go back and touch the bag. Right. So when I when I get too heavy, I go back and go on the Atkins, which is hard because my wife is not an Atkins type at all, and I got to feed her too. So it really causes problems. But but so I go back and I touch the bag occasionally by dropping thirty pounds. Well, what look as a chemist, what do you think just the best all around long term everyday diet could be? Just low in carbs, low in sugar. Well, first of all, I think the the grazing diet's not right. So what, what is that for me? The grazing diet, lots of small meals. I don't think that's correct. I think there's pretty good evidence that the reverse of that is actually true, and that is that the, uh, the intermittent fasting, yeah. which was first, first studied in Russia about a half a century, three-quarters of a century ago, um, I think intermittent fasting is, is possible. The other thing, it's the most easy to stay on, because if it, and you, you get used to it. So when you first intermittent fast, you go, oh, my God, I, yeah, at, at lunchtime, you're starving, and you go, oh, my God, and I feel like crap. Within about a week, you don't. And and what I, what I found was, so I, when I was a gymnast, um, and then when I did Taekwondo, I did intermittent fasting for about eight straight years. It's totally sustainable. What I would do is I'd get up in the morning. I wouldn't eat anything until I worked out. Sometimes yep. my workouts were at night. Yep. So I'd come home, and my first meal of the day would be 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And, and, and it turns out that's exactly what I do. And it, and it feels great. Right. And by the way, uh, when at one point I I did intermittent fasting and Atkins and you could hear the fat sizzling off my ass. I mean, it was unbelievable. (laughs) And, and the biggest problem I have is my wife giving me shit because she doesn't think it's a healthy way to do it. And I, I, so one, one point when I went on the Atkins for a second time, um, after she's given me guff about getting too meaty again. And I said, my job is to lose the weight. Your job is to shut the fuck up. <laughs> and, and she said, yep, zip it. No problem. And uh, problem the bottom is- line is you got to find out what works for you is the key. And, and if, if you have to eat celery all day and, and that'll drive you nuts, then it won't do you any good. Right. The beauty of intermittent fasting is you get home and you say, now I get the pig out. Right. And and if 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 once a day you get to scratch the itch, the other thing I discovered when I was on it as uh, for years again for eight straight years probably I, I actually invented it independently of the world when I was a gymnast in college where I just said look I'm just I, I used to call it my six o'clock diet don't eat anything till six o'clock that's when workout was over yeah and uh, but um, but but it, 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 what you realize you, first of all you stop being hungry out of habit right within about a week you you lose this i'm, I'm hungry and it's time and then when i found let's say i had a day where i was supposed to go out to lunch with a speaker or something at 11 30 i'd be starving 
I go, holy shit, it's Pavlovian. Right, yeah. Yeah, it is. My desire to eat is because I know I'm about to eat. Mm-hmm. So the intermittent fasting strikes me as the most sustainable. Just don't eat anything. That's and like, people think, that's oh, like you ever just get busy. It. You ever get busy doing something that you really like during the day, and then you realize, yeah. then you realize you haven't eaten in like you know, sixteen hours, and your stomach's kind of like rumbling. You're like, oh, I forgot to eat. And it wasn't because but I, like, didn't, I wasn't even hungry at the end of the day when I was intermittent fasting. Yeah, I wasn't even starving. I just I had a friend who said he he, he his brother went on some five day backpacking, you know, hiking thing with another guy. And and they and his brother was kind of a neophyte about this. And, and the, they packed no food. And and, the, and his brother said, well, what are we going to eat off the land? He said, no, we're not going to eat. And, and his brother was shocked. He said, oh, you get used to it. And they went five days without eating. And they got used to it. The other thing is, if you're doing intermittent fast in the way that you're talking about it, like some days, like today, for instance, is a good example. Pretty much a day off for me today because it's the day after Christmas. And so got up this morning, you know, at around 7, did some work, had a couple cups of coffee, which I do every morning. Um, and then I went. I ran 10 miles today. I left at like noon. I got back right <clears throat> right when you messaged me and said, all right, you'll, you'll do a podcast and um, so I scarfed down a, a thing of oatmeal, you know, 150 calories, a little thing right before we started the uh, the podcast. And, and I'm pretty good now. I'll be good. Maybe I'll eat something tonight. I'm sure I will. Um, you know, 1,000 calories, 1,500 calories. The thing is, if you, if you do the intermittent fasting like you're talking about, and then, like you say, you get that point where once a day you get to pig out, it's really hard to, like, eat more than, like, 2,000 calories at a sitting and not right. feel like you're going to explode so in a case like today where like right now i'm trying to lose a little bit of weight going into next year so i start with you know my target for the day is 1800 calories and then net out whatever i add in exercise so i added about 1200 calories from running today so if i can do 3000 today 3000 calories or under that's a great day for me and i'll be on pace to lose a pound or a pound and a half this week so what I find out, though, is if I wait and I try to pig out tonight, say, I'm all right, well, I'm going to go eat dinner tonight. I'm going to go out and eat a dinner. And I eat as much as I fucking can, Dave. It'll only yes, be 1,500 or 1,750 calories. And so I'm left with a surplus at the end of the day of, of calories anyways. Well, well, the other thing is what you're describing in units of calories I think may not be correct. And that is this book, Why We Get Fat, focusing on fat deposition. Yeah, let's say... Let's say, what other bodily function do you have in which you have to control it that much? So let's say water. Your body needs water. Right. Do, do, you, do you ever overhydrate? No. Your body tells you what you need. And so the gist is that, um, is that, that the, the guy did the math. He said, you know, if, if you're controlling your diet consciously, if you eat an extra cracker a day because you misjudged, you'll be a fat whale. So your body just doesn't work that way. And what you're describing is what's called the thermochemical model. And that is calories in, calories out, which literally is true. But the calories out part is when you take a dump, for example, you're sending calories down the, down the toilet. 
and and your body's telling you how many to send down the toilet right and 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 it's a much more tricky system than just your conscious mind and so when you've got too much of something it just passes through so it gets back to this question of why do you deposit fat and that's the focal point there are things that cause you to deposit the fat if you can get rid of those triggers then your body will deal with the calories fine and and just to recap, what is it that deposits fat? It's the carbs mostly. It's it's the triggering of the insulin, which is which is insulin to handle carbs. Insulin processes carbs, hmm. so you want to keep your insulin from spiking. So your insulin will spike if if you eat too much sweet too fast. Is that why everybody's using these glucose monitors all of a sudden? The things that they're Could be. stapling into their arms? You know what I'm talking about? Could be. Have you seen I think them? You... No. I don't know. They're like things you, you know, you staple them into your arm and then you can look at your glucose rise and fall on an app on your phone. To which I reply, you know, why why do you even need that? If you're just if you're eating healthy and you're exercising, you know, what what's the what's the worry? I mean, do I need do I need a monitor to tell me that when I eat a banana, my glucose goes up? That that seems like op- over analytical. That I would just be sitting there like obsessing about every number, you know. Like my my mom was saying, go back to our discussion about the uh, cholesterol and stuff like that, and taking drugs because of the the data that comes up on blood work. That you know, if you're one point out of the range, you know, your HDL is one point over, or your LDL is one point under, or you know, whatever they they automatically go and turn to to, to prescribe. Yeah, see, I think that's and, and, I think that's dead wrong. And she yeah, said, I think it's dead wrong the way they do that. She said that if they can't get enough prescriptions off, they'll they'll change the range, the you, you know the acceptable numbers of whatever they're supposed that's to. Right. Be. That's right. That's right. So so there's another interesting phenomenon. So let's say high cholesterol correlates with heart attacks, and let's say that a drug lowers the cholesterol. You are inferring that, therefore, you'll have less heart attacks. But, you know, let's say that an average body temperature is 98.6 degrees if it's healthy. Right. And let's say you've got a corpse at 70. If you heat it to 98.6, is it healthy? <laughs> so the gist is that there is, there is there, to assume that by getting your cholesterol down artificially will cut back the heart attacks is taking a very complicated system and, and making it very simple looking. And what they have not shown is that the cholesterol, the cholesterol lowering drugs, they can show lower cholesterol. What they have not shown is whether it actually reduces heart attacks. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. Right. And, it, and, and they're it, not, once it's cleared for, through the FDA, they're not going to look at that either. Because who would ask that question once it's cleared by the FDA? No one. Yeah, it's uh, you know, correlation and causation. That's exactly right. You know, and so so I won't take something did, to lower did this some guy, blood level. Did this guy die because he ate a waffle for breakfast, or <laughs> or did he happen to eat a waffle for breakfast and then get hit by a bus? <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's it, there's a thing called the lurking variable. So you could say that uh, the Cheetos, um that Cheetos are, 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 uh, correlate with, with smoking. 
Now, did smoking cause you to eat Cheetos or did Cheetos cause you to eat smoking? No. <laughs> Probably poverty caused you to do both. Mm-hmm. So, and the, the poverty is the lurking variable. So right. the two things seem to correlate. Right. But it's because they're correlating with a common variable that's lurking beneath the surface. <laughs> and and so, so, so that's where it's very dangerous. And so the thermochemical model, the calories in, calories out model, I think is a highly flawed model. Now, anything that restricts your consumption is going to tend to restrict your weight gain. So you could have the I'll only eat yeah, yellow like, like lab band surgery, right? <clears throat> the people well, that you know, sex, right. section off an entire part of their stomach and then take a victory lap for losing weight. Right. Well, I, to the extent that the fat's causing them trouble and it causes them to lose weight, they should take the victory lap. Right. Because what it's saying is I've got a flawed personality trait and I can keep it from killing me by getting that, that, that special surgery. <laughs> one of the, one of the stand-up comedians says, that's like gluing your nose shut to quit cocaine. <laughs> 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 it's like it's like gluing your nose shut to quick cocaine. Well, it's like, well, it solves it might, the problem, it, I guess. It might work, you know. So in that sense, it's like the various treatments for hiccups, right? None of them actually treat hiccups, but they distract you enough where right. you, you stop hiccuping. Right. right um, yeah. Hold your nose. Hold your breath. Jump on. Jump one on foot. one foot. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Although one I heard recently is one swallowing a spoonful of sugar. Oh yeah. No, but here's the key is it's possible that you think about what swallowing a spoonful of sugar is like. It's not easy. And it's conceivable that that muscle movement is like a massage or something. And then it actually causes the spasm of a hiccup to go away. If you so could, that could if you could take the sum total of all of the time that people spend doing things that are completely useless and inconsequential. Okay. I've gone through my whole life without ever doing anything to try to cure hiccups. And I'm not sitting here hiccuping. I'm just saying, you know, for every time somebody hits one of those buttons to turn the fucking red light green, you know, those things aren't even hooked up, right? right? Or hits the elevator door close button. We could do, if we could just take the sum total of all that time and put it into generating some type of productivity. You know, reading your horoscope, you know, there's another 30 seconds. Take that, tack it on too. I mean, we would be on we'd be living on fucking Jupiter by now. Well, I read in an I read an article about things that drive air, airline stewardesses nuts. And one of them that I remember is they they said that they always get asked to turn the temperature up. Oh, and yeah. they always say, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll tap it up. And they never do because apparently the colder the plane, the less likely someone is to, sh- to throw up. Oh, really? Yeah, so they keep the plane cold, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense. Yeah, movie theaters um, and casinos, same way. You know, you go to a movie theater, you go to a casino, you get an airplane, make sure you have a sweatshirt. End of story. So we should mention, before we get too far along, we should mention the war in Ukraine, dude. Okay, but I, and I'm prepared for this because I want to read from your 2022 year in review here. Just go for uh, it. Two go paragraphs, for if you don't mind. Go um, for it. Read the whole thing. I don't care. So this is what you wrote about the war on Ukraine, and I, I've, you know, I want to preface this with my own thoughts very quickly, which is just that I, I think it's terrible what's happening. I saw scenes from Ukraine this week. I, I think it's horrifying what's happening over there that people are dying, and I know you wrote something also. To, I did to, the same thing, to, yeah. To, to the effect that it, it is a it's a horrible humanitarian tragedy that these people <clears throat> are enduring, you know, 
with that being said, now we can discuss other things. Here's what you well, wrote. The Ukra- Ukrainians are the victims. They are the victims. They are, they're the, the ones that are is, dying. The question becomes one of what's the relative role of, of Russia and NATO? Exactly. Exactly. And $100 billion without an audit of taxpayer right. money going overseas while the country's suffering from an inflationary crisis and the IRS wants to look at anybody that makes $601 driving a an Uber. You know, it's like, all right, well, we're right. going to send over $100 billion unaudited. Nobody knows where it's going. Nobody knows what it's used for. Remember the Pentagon a couple years ago lost $2 trillion? Dave, you remember that one? Yeah, Catherine Austin Fitz has been obsessing. It's a bigger number than that. $2 trillion. Yeah, we did an audit. There's $2 trillion missing. You know, hey, Madoff was a $60 billion hole in his balance sheet. FTX was a $30 billion hole in his balance sheet. Okay, you talk about $1 trillion, which is a 1000000000 billions, $2 trillions, which is 2000 billions missing with no explanation. And I think we all know it went somewhere to some project, to some it's shit three, that nobody wants to know about. But It's $300 per every man, woman, and child in the United States. That's insane. It's, it's got to be, be more than that. It's got to be more than no, that. No, it is. No, it's about that. If, if you actually do the division, it's it's $300 for, per capita. So here's what you wrote. We are on the cusp, and this is from Dave Collum's 2022 year in review, which is available on uh, Zero Hedge. We are on the cusp of World War III, what could become the most inclusive war in history with world leaders who seem incapable of orchestrating a decisive paintball attack. <laughs> uh, the problem was I took it out of last night and then I started reading this and I got two paragraphs in and I almost fell off my desk chair. Like so many, I rely on geopolitical events to learn about politics and geography. Task number one, figure out where Ukraine is located on a map. <laughs> I stumbled upon this top secret Pentagon strategy map and then you posted an old map from the game Risk that didn't have... Uh, it doesn't have Russia. It's got uh, Siberia, Yakutsk. And even even and Ukraine's the wrong Jaka. shape. Yeah, yeah, it's not even close. India, India looks like Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is just labeled Middle East. <laughs> you wrote, right. oh my God, they've already removed Russia. <laughs> Task number two, resolve spelling and grammar issues. Is it Ukraine or the Ukraine? Odessa with one S or Odessa with two S's? Kiev, K-I-E-V, or Kiev, K-Y-I-V. Zelensky, Zelensky, or Zelensky, with a bunch of Ys. Is it Donbass or Donbass? And finally, is it Dumbass or Biden? <laughs> Anyways, okay. Sorry, I just wanted to read those two paragraphs. They made me laugh last night. Tell me about your, your thoughts here. Okay, so... Uh... So pretty early on, I've been reading and writing about Putin since 2014, and I think probably it was the uh, it was probably uh, the coup in Ukraine uh, in 2014 that sort of drew me to to look at the relationship of Russia and Ukraine and stuff like that. And almost every year since then, I've written something about Putin. Um, I've always been intrigued by Putin because. Compared to the other world leaders, he seems to be incredibly, uh, 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 how do I say this? Um, first of all, he's, he's incredibly direct. He's brutally direct. So you ask him a question, he's not evasive. evasive. 
he he you know if you ask him about you know you know dealing with oligarchs ham-fisted he says well they rob russia blind so there's that and and so he he doesn't seem to duck questions and uh and that always intrigued me and i compare him to biden and macron and trudeau and and i did a poll actually and 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 i asked who which which leader do you think was a twitter poll which leader do you think most cares about their home country and i listed biden trudeau uh, i think i put boris johnson and putin and putin took 71 percent. so the population views putin as a russian nationalist um I think that Putin has led Russia through difficult times in a way that was has been fairly uneventful, all things considered. Um, and and so uh, so when the war broke out, um, I started paying attention. Then I started. I remember some John Mearsheimer shit. So I went back and, and dug up Mearsheimer, and I went back and if you read pre twenty twenty two stories about Ukraine, you find out that Ukraine is just a shithole. You find out that the politics in Ukraine is just awful and the corruption is awful and there's Nazis running around Ukraine like there's no tomorrow and civil 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 rights groups have been denouncing Ukraine for years. And and then all of a sudden the war breaks out and now the Western media is nothing but, you know, Skittles, rainbows and sunshine. Yeah, I saw your I, I saw your post on your Twitter. I just want to interrupt you where you you posted the difference between how the media talked about ukraine prior to the russian invasion versus how they referred to ukraine after the uh russian invasion that was like something you retweeted from the guardian right it's staggering yeah it's staggering trying to find it but i can't find it now so early on so so i got emails from a couple of guys who i don't know who they are and one of them said did you know that this is before the war even started? He said, did you know that Ukraine, Ukrainians are shelling Ukrainians right now? And I'm going, no, I didn't know that. I, I didn't realize that. And, and I didn't know if I believed it, right? This is from some email source that, that I have no idea what it is. And then another talked about the number of troops in Ukraine that had been amassing on the Ukraine-Russian border. So to make a very long story short, um, there's Nazis running around Ukraine. They're not neo-Nazis. They've been around since World War II. And they've had various sort of, you know, sparks of life, and then they go quiet again. But the Azov Battalion, for example, is a bunch of Nazis. They're a bunch of anti-Semites. They're a bunch, they're a bunch of cleansers. They're, they're brutal at the level of uh, a Mexican drug cartel. And it turns out our CIA guys tied in with the Azov guys because it's, well, these are the guys that we can work with. And so we've been training Nazis in Ukraine to fight Russia. And if you dig into it, you find that there's about a half a dozen guys who've been really on the front line telling the story. John Mearsheimer for 10 years has been saying uh, NATO foreign policy has been heading us for to World War III. Everything they've done is, is, is steering us right to World War III. I've got quotes back to 2015 of Mearsheimer warning us of this. So back when um, the Warsaw Pact fell apart, you know, the Soviet Union fell apart, um, and and Germany was reuniting, it turns out that that um, that that um, Russia was obviously a little nervous about the future, and 
20, 30 million Russians have been killed by, by Germans. And so, uh, so NATO basically um, said to Russia through various spokespersons, look, if you don't reassemble the Warsaw Pact, we won't push NATO eastward. And, and, and Russia was okay with that. And then we immediately started pushing NATO eastward. Now, here's the problem. Ukraine has special tactical issues for Russia. All the invaders who've ever gone into Russia go through Ukraine. Ukraine's connection to the Black Sea is critically tied. Uh, Russia's connection to the Black Sea is critically tied to, to Ukraine. And so for, um, for, for, uh, for, for Russia, um, Ukraine is, is way worse than for us for like Cuba or Mexico or something. And um, it would be like if Russia controlled uh, the Panama Canal, right? Maybe something like that. So, so Putin has been saying to NATO for years, "You've really got to stop this. You you can't do this. You promised you wouldn't push NATO east, and you've pushed NATO east." And 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 Ukraine was ground zero for them. Ukraine was an existential risk. By the way, NATO's an existential risk for Russia. NATO exists to oppose Russia. Now, doesn't mean that they're always going to be beaten up on Russian stuff, but it that's its purpose. And so NATO is existential risk for Russia. And so so as as after the 2014 CIA led coup in um, Ukraine where uh, where we took I can't even pronounce their names so don't ask me to um, two guys begin with Y we replaced their president who was really a relatively pro Putin guy with a president who is a relatively pro NATO guy um, all of a sudden things got kind of hot for Russia so Russia was on red alert and they've been telling NATO look you can't do this you can't have Ukraine we don't need Ukraine we can't have NATO why can't Ukraine become NATO. Why can't they join NATO? Well, NATO has all these agreements where if a if anyone attacks a NATO country, the rest of the NATO countries all join in by treaty. So if, for example, Russia has a problem with Ukraine and they're in NATO, they can't do anything because it'll trigger this NATO onslaught. So Russia did not need Ukraine Russia needed Ukraine to not be in NATO. And it's a very different thing. So what happened is, is Putin had repeatedly approached NATO saying, you really got to stop this. This is, this is a problem for us. We can't live in it. And we told him to fuck himself. We blew him off. We didn't just say, look, we don't agree. Here's why. There was, it wasn't standard diplomacy. We became what I would call invalid negotiators. We said, screw you, we don't care. And that's the problem. So what happened is, what's the trigger for the war? Um, I don't think the trigger was NATO in terms of uh, Ukraine joining NATO. We had been arming the Ukrainians like crazy, and that's very inflammatory for, for Russia. But But they started to massacre more ethnic Russians in the Donbass region. Now, a lot of people don't understand, there's been a civil war going on in Ukraine for, for, for over a decade now. And the Eastern Ukrainians are essentially Russians. They're ethnically Russian, they follow Russian ideas. 
and an estimated 15,000 ethnic Russians have been slaughtered over the last 10 years. And, and as of some date in January, I can't remember the dates, all of a sudden, the bombings, the artillery shells <coughs> into the Donbass region um, picked up dramatically. And, and the, the trigger might have been that, that Putin said, oh, shit, they're about to slaughter the ethnic Russians. And he accelerated his plans, and he and he moved. That was the proximate trigger, I think. That's that's one of many possibilities. And so Putin moved in. Now Putin underestimated our willingness to not negotiate. So he thought when he moved in, the NATO would go, "Oh fuck!" and and with all the pipeline issues and stuff like that, he thought he had a hand that he could play. And one of the interesting things is um, the, the guys you want to watch for, John Mearsheimer, University of Chicago policy expert, Steve Walt, um, Colonel uh, Douglas McGregor, Colonel Stephen Black, um, 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 Scott Ritter. There, there's about a half a dozen guys who've been out there beating the drum hard saying this is fucked up story. And then there's another two dozen who, who less so, but still equally important. And I sorted my way all through that story. What I didn't try to do is present a balanced story. <clears throat> the reason was is because I could waste huge amounts of time saying, well, you know, Putin did this wrong and these guys did this wrong. And, you know, I did it to the extent it made the story rational. But I really steel man the the, the Russian side because our media, as I've said, is worthless to the point of being treasonous. And so I said, someone's got it. Someone's got to look at this side. And if you if you binge watch various players, including there's a whole bunch of documentaries on Ukraine, what's been going on there for the last ten years, they're all awful stories. Zelensky's a criminal and a half. Zelensky is a complete sack of shit. Now, he might be the right guy to run Ukraine, but that's, that's you know, just like I would say the same with Putin. Now, there's people who listen to me and say, oh, you know, that's awful. Putin's a murderer. And I go, okay, let's talk murderers. We attacked Iraq. We killed, according to Madeleine Albright's numbers, 500,000 children. Did Iraq ever attack us? No. We helped Saudi Arabia bomb Yemen. Obama bombed seven Muslim countries, none of which attacked us, none of which attacked us. This year we bombed Syria for three straight days. And the official argument for it was to send a message to Tehran. Now my, my punchline was I didn't realize Tehran was in Syria. But in reality, we bombed Syria to send a message to Iran. What kind of war crime is that? So we're killing millions, and all those yellow, blue, flag waver, sanctimonious douchebags are worrying about Ukraine. and go, your own fucking country is a mass murderer. So get off your fucking soapbox and start paying fucking attention to what we're doing. Ukraine has 36, no, number's 46 now. 46 bioweapons labs, U.S.-based bioweapons labs. You know, the kind that produce things like jacked up coronavirus and crap like that. <laughs> and I would say, oh, maybe that's conspiracy theory until Victoria Newland admitted it. And so, 
So this, the problem is, is the story that we're being told that's getting everyone all jacked up and willing to tolerate $100 billion being sent there. And by the way, we're arming the Ukrainians to get slaughtered. You know how you're hearing about how well the Ukrainians are doing? Yeah. You, you can't make that case. According to my military sources, I read, Ukraine, I read this week that the entire Russian defense budget is $65 billion. Yeah, yeah, about, it's about the same as what we sent to Ukraine. Um, but if you actually look at the kill ratios, the Ukrainians are dying in the ballpark of 10 to 1. Now, Scott Ritter was a fascinating part of the story because Scott, who's the guy who said there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and got incredible grief for it from Biden when Biden was just a, a, a lower-level douchebag. Um, <laughs> Scott, before the war got even going at all, said, here's what Russia's going to do. And he said, Russia doesn't worry about real estate. They're not going to bring in a troop to occupy Ukraine. They're going to bring in troops to denazify Ukraine. Putin wanted to get rid of the Nazis. And I think he has done a pretty good job at that. It's probably not been a happy day for the Nazis. I think I mean, they he also he also wanted to you know take he wants to take the the land also. No, no, he wants eastern eastern no. Ukraine, right? Oh, he wants eastern Ukraine to be safe. He doesn't want it. He wants it to be stable. Mm, he doesn't he want to make it part of Russia. It. Um, he wants them to be independent of Ukraine. Well, that's that's what we're talking about, right? No, we're not. No, we're not. So if Russia and U.S. are battling over Mexico, we're not taking Mexico if we say tell the Russians to get the fuck out. We're taking over Mexico if we take Mexico. <clears throat> so the problem is eastern Ukraine poses all sorts of tactical issues. Now, what Ritter said is, Putin's not going to do urban warfare. What he's going to do is he's going to suck in the Ukrainian troops to defend the cities. And then he's going to do an end run and deal with the military problems. Ukraine, Russia is fighting a, 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 a denazification war and a military war. And, and the, the, the Ukraine, Ukrainian press is presenting the fight, fight as, a, as a geographic war. And that, as McGregor would say, Russia doesn't want geography that isn't tactically important. They don't want just acreage. They want something that's tactically important. So whenever Russia would pull its troops in, Ritter said they'd fake the, they'd fake, they'd, they'd trick the, the Ukrainians into defending the cities. And then they'd back her out and they'd circle the city completely and avoid all urban warfare. And he said, Russia doesn't want to kill civilians and they don't want to kill, they don't want to destroy infrastructure. By the way, that's now changed. You know why it's changed? Because we blew up the Kerch Bridge and we blew up the pipeline and Putin said, fuck it. And that's when the war escalated right there on the spot. So he's taken out Ukraine's infrastructure sufficiently to make this winter a sucky winter. So he, he, Putin did definitely amp it up. And I think the Ukrainians have lost now 100,000 people. So this is not a small war now. But the first part of the war was, was really not a big war. 
but then it, then it amped up as wars tend to do. Let me ask you a question. What do you think the effects are going to be for the global economy from, you know, the way that the U S we tried to sanction Russia, obviously didn't really work that well. Uh, you know, Russia now looks like they want to, uh, transact oil and gold and in, uh, in China's currency and they've strengthened their alliance with China. It looks like China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, India are all getting very cozy with each other. What do you think the, and we'll kind of dovetail into a, your quick thoughts on macro before we go. What do you think this means for the global economy? Well, it's such a chaotic system that the projecting is dangerous as hell, but one can write it a plot line that basically uh, represents the demise of the dollar reserve currency. Right. And, and that seems to be widely accepted as a catastrophe for the U S which I think is, I think it's due I think we've uh, abused the dollar reserve sure. currency enough now that sure. I think it's I think it's time for us to lose that. And I, I I'm I not agree. saying it's, it's gonna it's not gonna be fun. We've had a great run. It's been amazing, actually. Um, I think that um, as as Putin said, or you know, the thing about here's here's the other problem: when Putin or one of a spokesperson for Russia speaks, it's with one voice. So any high-ranking Ruski who says something, it's a, it's a completely Kremlin-coherent voice. So if Lavrov wants to say something, you can take it at face value. That's what's intended to be said. NATO, on the other hand, is a bunch of what I call uh, they're armed with human 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 weapons of that are basically loose cannons toting double-digit IQs, and so. NATO, on the other hand, has senators and congressmen and vice presidents spouting complete garbage. So here's the deal. If you say, and many have said this, if you say, we have to take out Putin, many have said it. The worst was John Bolton. Shoot that bastard, too. John Bolton basically wrote the most egregious op-ed ever. Now, here's the deal. If you tell Putin, let's assume he's a dictator, let's assume he's a megalomaniac, I actually am not sure what he is, and I've read a lot about him, but let's assume that. If that's true, then you've just given him the go-ahead to go full goblin on everybody. If you say, look, our goal is to take him out, he's fighting for his life, Right? And at some point, Biden gave a speech and some goddamn news agency said that that's the most aggressive speech towards Russia since Ronald Reagan. I go, nice try, you assholes. To compare Biden to Reagan, you're nuts. The other problem is that, that, that Reagan never said Gorbachev had to go. You never say a regime has to go unless it's this puppet little banana republic and you know nothing's going to happen you're going to take them down and that's the that's the bully saying i'm going to get you but you don't tell russia you don't tell germany you don't tell big countries their regime has to go those are fighting words those are fighting words if you want putin to nuke us there you go right by the way all the discussion of nuclear war it's all coming out of the west it's all coming out of the west yeah 
It's not coming from Putin. Yeah. It's yeah. everyone saying, he, "Oh, Putin's he's made some nukes. comments. He's made some comments in response to things." Very, that that's said. right. He but, said the but, weather vane can flip direction. Right. The 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 dialogue about nuclear appeared to start, you know, from the West. I, I and, just want to so, go ahead. So we've been so irresponsible. NATO's been horrible. NATO should be dissolved. When Trump ran in 2016, for me, for me personally, his number one campaign plank that I said, okay, I have serious reservations about this wackadoodle, but the primary campaign plank I said, okay, I'm pulling the lever, was he said we have to get along with the Russians. I said, boom, he got my vote. And ever since then, every single douchebag move made by every douchebag in Washington has always been blamed on the Russians. Every single thing. And you may recall some number of years ago, I, 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 I declared war against the West, against NATO liars, when they said that Putin poisoned the Skripals with nerve gas. And I called them out. I said, you're liars. And I ended up on George Galloway and I ended up on Russia Today and I ended up on a bunch of channels over in Europe. And I said, they're liars. This, this nerve gas is not uniquely Russian technology. It's chicken shit organic chemistry. You're liars. Stop. And, and I was the only organic chemist to call it out. I could make the nerve gas in two days in my lab. I'd die doing it. Because it'd get out, but it's a trivial it's trivial organic chemistry to make the nerve gas that supposedly kill the street balls. But everyone said, Oh, it's uniquely Russian technology. Bullshit. So I started so that it's that kind of crap. If if they want to blame Russia for everything, if they want to demonize them, go ahead, but you're you're pushing us towards nuclear war. Yeah. Yeah. This is something you don't fuck around with. No. This is like your wife's getting fat. You don't say, hey, you're fucking getting fat, honey, and expect to fucking live to talk about it. <laughs> well, let's 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 just I want to divert you back to the to the macro uh, economy picture again and ask you if you think this idea of the U.S. dollar losing reserve currency is the leading um, potential path that we go down. Do you think that's. Well, I, that's a big picture one. A more immediate one is, um, and this is where I look at someone like Doomberg and pay attention to what he says very carefully, but, but there really could be famine and people freezing to death in Europe this winter. Yeah. And I just don't know if those are just clickbait fears, but Doomberg doesn't seem to think so. And, uh, and some smart guys don't seem to think so. And they say, look, there's just not enough energy for Europe for this winter. And, and so, uh, so you know, there's the, the Germans are cutting down trees to get ready for the winter for their fireplaces. And, you know, this is pretty weird stuff. Companies, I know companies are getting ready to board up their companies for the winter because they're not going to have the energy to run the company. And, and so, so, um, so, so Germany could get really hurt. Now, I ran across just by chance or wherever from reading everything, a quote from some politician or some policy wonk from a number of years ago that said um uh that said um the u.s's biggest risk is germany and russia getting together and they said it was russia's resources and germany germans technology that posed the risk 
And and then all of a sudden you got Condoleezza Rice back in 2014 urging Europe to use our natural resources, not Russians. And 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 so there's this um, there's a resource issue here. Um, Colonel Black thinks that the whole war is about a, a, a NATO slash U.S. NATO is the U.S. by the way. Um, grab of both Ukrainian and Russian resources. They think it's the big play. They think they're going for the whole enchilada. By the way, China's not going to be happy about that either. So this is really a, these are, these are moves that are very, very dangerous moves. And they're not our resources. And I get the fact that we could all starve and freeze. But I, I think a lot this of it. Was, this was the first time in recent memory, or I think almost in any memory, that I got an email two days ago asking me to conserve power. I don't, I don't think, you know, look, I live on the East Coast. I live in Philadelphia. I know this shit happens in California all the time. I write and read um, about it all the time, you know, on the West when they have blackouts and stuff. There's always articles. They're asking people to, you know, not charge their cars or for years and years and years and years and years. This is the first time I can remember ever getting one of the one such email that I got yesterday. You know, we need Well, so to- here's here's the absurdity. This is where you say there's a plot we're missing here and that is so we're looking at a year where potentially we could have real famine globally. Um, it, it won't be even. I mean, the US might be fine, Germany might be fine. who knows, right? But there could be some real famine. Meanwhile, the Dutch are telling 30% of their farmers not to grow food right. because of night because of nitrogen pollution. I go, hello, you've decided now nitrogen's a pollutant and, and you want to deal with it. You happen to want to deal with it the year that we can all be heading for a famine. <laughs> so, so, so anyone who, anyone who believes that's a simple plot right. and that they're not lying their asses off about nitrogen pollution is out of their minds. And you've got, you know, you got the Germans who shut down their new plants. Oh, what bad timing, right? So it just it just feels to me like there's some gigantic geopolitical game being played that is so far out of view of the common man, which includes you and I. And and the, the, the whole Great Reset thing, he said, you know, but that's so bizarre. What the hell is the Great Reset? The fact we don't know what the Great Reset is after two years of hearing about it steadily is concerning. Right, but these are sick bastards. This great recent crowd. I know what, what is. it is. Tell me what it is. It's the loss of private property rights. It's a diminishing quality those of are, life. Those are symptoms. Well, okay. Those are symptoms. But so anyone who's not familiar with the Great Reset, their claims is missing some real treasures, like uh, the recent WEF catchphrase that they put on their website you know the original one that really caught everyone's attention when they said you will own nothing and be happy and and there won't be a reserve currency i go fighting words right there's a whole bunch of things in it but more recently they put up something they said uh they said there's no reason why life has to be fulfilling let me tell you something economic forum said that i was in dc when the international monetary fund had their uh summer fuck fest this year whatever it was called they had some big meeting of the minds, the International Monetary Fund, and I was staying at a hotel a couple blocks from there. I never saw so many fucking Rolexes and fucking expensive cars and people decked out in Hermes and fucking 
Gucci and so many drivers of vans with big screens in the back. So the question is, and I'm just is, watching the these people, and I'm like, the I'm like, these people are going into this building under the guise that they're going to do something that's going to benefit the whole world. I don't fucking think so. I can tell just by looking at them, they don't pass the fucking sniff test. Doesn't work. You know, it was. So the cli- I, I got to tell you, the it, climate it was change story is a weird, great man. one. It was fucking weird. You know, you, the you climate would just, change story. The climate change story is a big heap of horseshit. It's a complete, it's a $150 trillion grift. It's also about some sort of control. It's, it's the key to unlock doing whatever they want. They're the magic fucking words, climate change. And what's the beauty of climate change is it'll never go away. Right, ever. It's a, it's a story that'll get, so like you can scream all you want about the pandemic, but eventually it's gotta go away. But climate change never has to go away. They can just keep squealing about climate change. And, and, uh, and, and obviously there's trillions of dollars being spread around, and the, the grift is unbelievable. It's an unbelievable grift. This is why you have to read The True Believer by Eric Hoffer. It's phenomenal in terms of explaining all this. The climate change activists are being suckered in, in an immense level. They are textbook level mass movement. And it's important that you read, I forget the guy's name, Bjorn. Uh, I saw Lomberg. His, Bjorn Lomberg. Lomberg. I saw his interview uh, on Rogan, I think. It's important that yep. you get the perspective of guys like him. And even, you know, even guys like Randall Carlson on Rogan, who, you know, is somewhat of a pseudoscientist when it comes to some things, but right. understands right. how the climate works. In general, it's important to get those perspectives, too, because we've talked about it before. You know, understanding climate change means nuance, which people are not good at. And yes, we are affecting the climate. The question is, is the response justified is what we're doing? You can't even you can't even make the case for affecting the climate. I know. But let's just concede. that. I'm willing to concede that we could be. Yes. Let's just concede that. I mean, I I. I'm certain that we are. The question is to what degree we're doing it and whether or not it's worth freaking out about. And then, you know, the question is, is, has the response been justified? And then the further question is who and what entities are shoehorning what agendas into uh, across the world under the guise of climate change? What, what agendas and ideologies are being put into place? It's like inequality. Right. If you just say inequality, you can just do whatever you want. Hey, we're doing this because we're fighting inequality. It's like, wow. That's so here's my theory on climate change. This is my most benevolent theory that the guys at the top, the Davos crowd, let's call it, actually can see that based on the emergence of China and any of various places that we have a fundamental resource problem, period, QED. Right. Now you can say we got you can say we got plenty of oil. I go well. Then why are we drilling two miles below the Gulf of Mexico and in the North Sea and fracking and doing all this weird stuff if we've got so much goddamn oil? And and because it's getting harder to get to. So let's say they can see it. Let's say they can also see that they're pushing electric cars. If you do the math of electric cars and you say, okay, what kind of resources do we have to tug out of the ground to make every car electric? We and, don't. And have- who's mining it? What's going on in, in the Republic and, and of Congo mines, where there's fucking miners in the, in the cobalt mines down there? 
Mr. No, it's, Mr. It's, it's, Mrs. I want to do the right thing, walking around with my iPhone with a lithium fucking battery in it. Like, give me a break. It's, it's an environmental disaster. And, and the actual existence of the metals needed to electrify everything is, is, is completely unknown. And if it's known, it's known not to exist. And so then the question is, what are they doing? They could be trying to get a, soften the target for a world that just has a much smaller footprint. Yeah, maybe. And the problem is, if you conclude that, then you're within an inch of concluding that the COVID is eugenics. Population, right, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I can't rule it out because they're, they're twisted fucks over the centuries who have believed in depopulation. And, and They've I, you said know, as much. They've and I don't even think much. you have to be... I don't think you have to be a twisted fuck. I think you actually could just be a realist at this point. I, hey, but, but the, that I think you're 100 percent right. I consider myself to be a realist. You know, I don't. I don't. Uh, it's not some insane, like crazy uh, thought that this could be a, on the spectrum of possibilities. I'm not saying it's definitely what's happening. All I'm saying is, the more that I learn about what we're told versus what the objective truth is on a number of items the less surprised i am that as you say what about conspiracy theories that people of power get together to conspire to you know do things for their own means and this is by the way why every one of the guys on the front line of the covid battle and the vaccine battle the big players the corys the coles the the weinsteins the the you name it um why they've all gone down a rabbit hole and realize that there's very dark, sinister forces going on here. Right. They, they almost without fail have concluded that bad shit is happening. And it's not just bad decisions were made. It's not just that we've got, you know, that they created a virus and it got out and they're covering their asses. Something like They've really gotten much darker, more sinister in, in their, their model. And, and, and I don't know if that's true. I mean, it's, you know, 30 years from now, we may look back and say, remember when we thought they were trying to destroy us all? You know, I remember when the Club of Rome said we we're all going to starve by the year 2000, right? It, it could be one of those. But unfortunately, the guys at the very top might think that now and are acting upon it. And that's where it gets a little dicey. Yeah. Oh, I don't know, Colin. I'm glad we talked. I want to end it there. Well, it's, I, I'm, you know, uh, Michael Crichton not only warned us that, you know, if you look, if you look at th newspapers from 30 years ago, the headlines look so stupid. You know, they seem so important then and they seem so stupid now. But he also warned us that, that worrying is bad for your mental and physical health. It is. And so, I, you know, I, there, there are times where I want to just sort of wall up and just, you know, go practice chipping and just stop watching. And I, I'm a little bit of a moth drawn to the flame. Um, I, think I do believe that once you've gone down one of these rabbit holes, here's the problem. Once you've gone down one rabbit hole, we've talked about so many over the years, which probably uh, 10 podcasts now. Um, once you've gone down one and you find the darkness, yeah. the, re the rest look credible. Yep. That's the problem. Agreed. You can't dismiss anything. For example, Elon Musk right now looks like a hero, right? But Elon Musk, his entire life, has been doing deep state industry. 
So is he really a hero? Tucker Carlson calls out the bad guys better than any talking head. You can hate his guts. I don't care. I hate. I didn't like him at all. I thought he was insufferable. I did too but, for for a long he's time. Won- for a long time. And then all of a sudden you start listening to him when he got his own voice. You go, holy shit, it's the only guy crossing the midline Mm -hmm. and saying, look, don't let the neocons bomb Syria. Look, don't let them fake you out about this vaccine thing. Look, he's calling out. He's calling balls and strikes. The question is, why? Why hasn't he been taken down? What's his role? One of the arguments comes from psych experiments where they, or neurobiology experiments where they show that social animals, when they play, they all have to win occasionally or they won't play. So I watch my two dogs that differ by a factor of two, my two Boston Terriers. But there's always a way for the little one to win too because he wouldn't, she wouldn't do it if she didn't win occasionally. And so Tucker Carlson could, could be, remember that blonde-haired guy in the precious metals market regulation world? It looked like Fabio or something. He died pretty recently. And, and he was going to get the evildoers who were rigging the precious metal market. And everyone sort of hung their hat and, oh, this guy's going to do it. I can't remember his name, but he, he really did look like Fabio. And, and then he retires and he got nobody. And they go, he was just there to talk a good talk. He was there. He was controlled opposition. Right. Maybe that's Tucker's role. Does Tucker know that's his role? Maybe. Right? He is the Washington generals playing the Harlem Globetrotters. Right. They're, the they're, they're, they're never going to win, but they have to look like they're out there playing basketball. Right. So maybe that's Tucker's role. And they, or maybe Tucker's untouchable because they go, if we take down Tucker, then there really will be a revolution. Who knows? Right. But it's, it's a complex story. And if you look through history, there is no reason to believe from the historical record that the guys at the top are benevolent. Not a shred of evidence to believe. That the, 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 United, the, 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 the American experiment was so unique compared to anything in history. The one that Tocqueville chronicled, the one that... It was so unique, and the guys who founded the country, the signers of the Declaration of Independence, the creators of the Constitution, they knew how fragile it was. And then the question becomes, is it over? Did we do it? And then it's and then it somehow is now rotting from the interior, and it, it feels that way to me because people are not speaking up. Maybe it's a phase, right? Maybe the Matt Walsh's of the world will win. But we feel like sheep. What are you doing at your end? Working on a car? You putting in a starter or something? What's going on over there? Me? Nothing. I'm just sitting here. I'm not doing anything. I'm hearing. I'm hearing a. a, a sounds like you're doing um, machinery. Working on a. Sounds like you're doing a mechanic. Well, I live. Work. I live right on I-95, so maybe you can hear I-95 okay. outside the window. I don't know. I don't know. But no, I'm I, not, I was. Li- I was just sitting back in my chair, listening to you, sipping my coffee. Okay. Um, so. So that's the world that I look at. Uh, it's once you see it, it's like uh, you you can't unsee it. Yeah. And no, and I, I, I think, think you're right. And I think going back to what what I said before about like you know the the checklist that people need to have before they start taking pills. One of those things is mental health too. 
Because if you get up and you worry all day every day, you just drive yourself insane. And then then they That's really right. then they really win because you know, then you're just fucking you're not getting any of the nectar of life at all. You're just worried about because it is the world is a horrifying place and the more you know, the less there is to be optimistic about it. But like, you know. But then the question becomes is if everyone takes that attitude, then there's there right. is no opposing right, force. Right. So I think, you know, I think we're both kind of like moss to the flame in some regard that, you know, like for me, I enjoy talking about this stuff. But now, like I hang up with you today, you know, yep. I'll, I'll go to the bar and have a whiskey and I won't think about, you know, I'll watch I'll watch the Sixers game or whatever, you know, and, and I won't think about it for the rest of the day, I, you know, because I have to leave it at some point because otherwise for a long time, I didn't for a long time, I would get obsessed and I would worry and it just, you know, your mental health just goes to shit and it's not worth it. See, I think I've gotten better at that, too. Part Part of it is this real. I think I've realized that there that I'm not going to stop it. I think there was a period where, first of all, I was discovering things and thinking if I can figure out what's true, that will help solve the problem. Right. And and then I went through this period where I realized it will achieve nothing. Right. <laughs> right. And that I could have the smoking gun and I can say, here's Hunter's laptop. We all knew Hunter's laptop was real day one from the fucking day it came out. I saw those <sighs> photos. And there were hundreds of them, and you start combing through what was on there and looking at the emails, and you're like, this looks extremely authentic. Nobody's going to go through the fucking process of photoshopping him naked in fucking Amsterdam in a bathroom smoking crack, you know, getting a blowjob. Like, that's, you know, what? Why? It's just. So then the question becomes why did it take Tucker Carlson a year to get on the story? A year. He really. There's Fox News, supposedly the right-wing propaganda machine. Really let that thing sort of float around. I'm sure Tucker said stuff. Well, he did good in, in bringing Tony Bobolinsky on. You know, I thought yeah. that was a good piece yeah. of journalism. Because Bobolinsky was right there, and he knew, and he confirmed, no, that's true. He confirmed that, that everything true. on the air. You know? and then But then nobody else picked up the story. It's like, by the it's way, like, he was it's also like the Pelosi the, thing that you're talking about. Nobody's talking about it. Now. What happened to also, David DePape? What happened? Was there a guy in Pelosi's car when he got his DUI that night? Ah, nobody wants to talk about it. You know, Trump's taxes, four years, four years of let's see the tax returns. Just nonstop bludgeoning. It's about the taxes. Let's see the tax returns. Where's your tax return? Trump's tax return. What is Trump hiding on his tax return? Fucking three days ago, the tax returns come out. Nobody's fucking talking about it. Why? Because everybody knew he's trying to pay as little tax as possible, like basically everybody else tries to do, and fucking that was it. So it's like the story was almost better when they weren't out so that they could beat the shit out of it like a dead horse, and then once it happens, oh, okay, not, nothing nothing about it. Let's move on to the next thing. So, yeah. Well, so so uh, Ted Koppel, there's an interview that surfaced this year, Ted Koppel telling Mr. Potato Head, uh, Brian Stelter. Oh, he's the worst. The worst, hey, well, the absolute worst to ever do it, Brian Stelter. The I, worst. I, I, somewhere between Cuomo, Stelter, and, and Don Lemon. But Stelter, I think, is the worst. The, but, Stelter but is Cobble the worst because he, he, he isn't even – Stelter isn't even a – he's not even an alpha beta. He's uh, he's just a beta beta. He's just a big pussy. I don't really know how, to, how else to say it. I'll probably get some guff. For that statement from some people, but he, I mean, he was, just, and he was just horrible, just absolutely horrifying to watch. Just in a constant state of somewhere between being scared and being outraged, 
and just carrying the fucking... Remember the question he asked Jen Psaki? Oh, excuse me, uh, what as reporters can we do better? It's like, bitch, you're talking to the White House press secretary. Ask her a fucking question. Stop kissing her ass like you... But this is the problem with the press. The worst. Stelter, the worst. The absolute worst to ever do it. Sorry. Sorry. But, but even ahead. even you can go across Fox <sighs> News and you can see there's third rails they don't touch either. That's right. I so agree. I describe them the this whole thing as a big it's like dogs playing, fighting in the yard. And you watch them and there's teeth and there's growling and there's all sorts of shit. There's never any blood. Then they right. get tired. They they lick their balls, roll over, and go to sleep. Right. <laughs> and 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 that that's what this whole thing is. Remember when Matt Gates was supposed to be a perv? That went away fast. Yeah. They don't want to draw blood. No. no. The classic case was when Clinton pardoned 1,100 people, and they chased him around about Mark Rich, a financier in Europe, and they gave him all sorts of guff about Mark Rich. And they ignored the fact that some of his pardons included Colombian drug lords and shit like that. Jab and, and that they, jab and move. And so, Make, take your jab and then and then take a couple steps back. So you never want to draw blood. When was the last time someone important got sent to jail? Oh, I don't know. I can't think of it. Denny Hastert got caught. You know, this child trafficking problem. Child trafficking, big problem. These young kids who are being sold can't come cheap, right? These are being sold to wealthy perps. I have no idea. All I know is it's horrifying. Well, you're not, they're not trafficking kids to market them to trailer parks. Right. Right? So then the question is, when was the last time someone of consequence got arrested for being a pedophile? Oh, for being a pedophile? I don't well, know. someone's I buying these kids. Maxwell, I mean, and Epstein. But then you look at the you look at the the, the group that that they're surrounded with, and the people that are, you know, in and out of that circle. And you, you got to think they're never. You got to think some, that, somebody somebody could. There's enough evidence out there somewhere to hold somebody of power accountable. I don't know whether it's Trump or whether it's fucking you know Dershowitz or whether it's any of these guys. I don't know, but you know, somebody. Broke the law in an egregious and disgusting way, and you know, but and not just somebody. I mean, right. there's 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 footage of Ehud Barak coming out of Epstein's apartment. There, there's thousand people who are tied to Epstein in a way that they ought to be investigated, and they're not. Agreed. And so I think there really is an elite global pedophile ring. I think there is. I used to think pedophiles were soloists. I realized, no, you're safest when you have a network and you can, you can, you can, uh, you can pass them around. And so I, I think, look at the, you must've looked up uh, John, not John, Tony Podesta art collection on Google. It's the most twisted shit you ever saw. Now Google's, Google's largely cleaned it up. So if you search Tony Podesta art collection, the first pictures are nothing. You keep you keep going through, and eventually you find kids yeah, yeah. tied up and tied up in cages and crap like that. And I think that's out there. I think the pervs. I think Biden's a perv. I think Biden's a total perv. He, he doesn't just because he those. sniffs everybody doesn't make him a perv. Every <laughs> goddamn prepubescent kid's hair he sniffs. He's a perv. There's no way he's not a perv. 
So I think it's out there, and I, I think I think it's the, the the privilege of power in their eyes. Yeah. And and you know Epstein Fantasy Island. I, there, there's a lot of unbelievably important people who've been implicated in that place, and you don't hear about it. You know, it's testifying. Right. Ghislaine Maxwell just got convicted of <laughs> got convicted of uh, of of of, you know, rounding up minors for nobody. No one's been convicted of of exploiting the minors. Right. They pretend like it was for Epstein. Epstein was, a you know, Mossad slash CIA operative. Because they're one and the same, too. It's just a global clusterfuck. And and then the question is, what do you do about it? And I guess I guess it's like concluding that the Roman Senate was a bunch of pervs. Yeah, you go, so what? I don't know. I don't know. All right, Colin. We gotta call it. We do. I'm getting restless. War, war, I'm starting to <laughs> so so finish the war in Ukraine and then read the introduction. Yeah, everybody should read your 2022 year in review. It's hilarious. And uh, <clears throat> I love it. I think you read, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but I think you read better than you listen. I, I, the, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because of the voice that I read it in my head, but I think the way that you write is hilarious. And I, I say, well, think this good. every year. Every year you do your year in review because I listen to you, you know, at least a couple well, times I a year think, we do a I podcast. I think I'm... I think I'm done. Yeah. I don't think I'm writing one next year. I, I'm looking ahead to the fall of next year thinking I don't have the time to do I it. I think you said that last year. I did, but then it turns out I moved a course from the fall to the spring for another reason. I said, oh, I can do it. Ah. I, I I may not be able to do it next year. It, I, I'm torn. I mean, I, I, I know it serves a purpose, but um, but I'm not sure – People don't understand. Maybe they do. How much it takes out of me. I mean, it's an unbelievable. Oh yeah, well, it's huge. It's sourced, and it's like it's a giant undertaking. Yeah. So I, I'm just not sure I have it in me to do another. But it's a great, it, it's a great read. I would recommend everybody read it. Well, I appreciate your support. Um, and uh, with right, that, let's do it again. Let's do it again it. in 2023. Where does right? this Where does this thing get posted? Where's this? Uh, probably send, in a day or two, I would guess. Actually, maybe, send me maybe, a maybe, link. maybe I'll post it tonight. I don't know. Send me a link. Send me a link. I'll pass it around. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna travel in a couple of days for a little while, so I won't be able to do a podcast. So I want to make sure that this one's out there before I leave, so that people okay. have something. So, so you <laughs> send me the link because I, I won't necessarily see it. All right, you got it, Colin. Okay. Thanks so Always much for your fun. time, buddy. Yep, we'll talk in 2023. All right. You got it. Adios. All right. That was the one, the only Mr. Dave Collum, the Betty R. Miller professor of chemistry and uh, general uh, lovable curmudgeon, our buddy. It's been a long time. So he'll come back probably in another uh, you know quarter or two. We'll talk to him. For right now, though, three hours. I got to stretch. My entire body's been cramping. I have to use the bathroom. I'm getting old. You know, I got all kinds of problems. I got to work out right now after sitting in this chair for three hours. All right, fools. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back with a new podcast in a couple of weeks. Hope everybody had a great holiday and has a great start to 2023. I'm out of here. Peace.